Welcome in to another episode of the Big Red Louie podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Lane, and uh, it's a beautiful night in Louisville, Kentucky. We have finally hit springtime. No more cold. Uh, we're headed into beer drinking season outside, and uh, it's a good time. Uh, alongside of me tonight, I've got my co-host, Presley Meyer. Presley? How are we doing? I brought my oxygen mask, though, because we are entering allergy season as well. So Yeah, can you breathe? That's a that's a good question right now in this this time of year and well can you breathe? Well, I mean, we, no, never. Well, mo- most times a year for me, but I mean, we've literally gotten to the point where um, it, we 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 have. I think we have the mic situation more fixed, but I don't know if we want to because we're all going to be talking through our uh, without our nasal. Yeah, it's going to sound like this like the next yeah. like five weeks. Yeah, pretty much like, like a bunch of like snot breathing in every episode where somebody's clearing out their throat and their nose. Basically, Ruby Lane. Oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> the first Flynn-filled talk of the season. Um, as always, you guys can find us on Twitter at the Big Red Louie and online at BigRedLouie.com. It's been an interesting couple of weeks here in Louisville. Uh, not the se- the way we wanted the season to end basketball-wise, uh, but uh, we are now oh, men, men's and women's basketball. I think. You know, both both of those seasons ended in different ways than I think we expected, especially for the men. Um, but anyways, new seasons uh, have started for baseball. Well, not even really new. Midway through the season, and uh, I believe that they are kicking the uh, Kentucky ass tonight, which is great news. But point being, now we can talk football. We have officially entered football season, and uh, not really. We still have, what, four months, five months? But uh, now we have the opportunity to talk about it without being told it's basketball season this this year and spring with spring practice being so early i don't know how many times on football related posts that we had on facebook or twitter people were like why are you talking about football like well one we kind of have to because there's a lot of news going on but anyways let's let's welcome on our guest tonight uh joining us is former cardinal and now san francisco 49er which is even so weird for me to say like it's so weird like i hang out with you every single week and you play in the NFL. Like, that's pretty cool. Uh, Colin Hubbard, welcome, buddy. Hey, glad to be here. I just want to clarify. Um, to me, it doesn't have to be the spring to be beer drinking season. That That is true. That I mean, I mean, I, I drink beer. Beer uh, drinking outside season. How about that? Do you drink beer outside in the cold? Like, in the yeah. winter? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, it's like 32 degrees like, outside. Like fall, you get like a nice bonfire. That's true. That's you get, true. You I'll get a nice that. little seasonal dark beer. That is absolutely true. And there are there are some really good winter beers. I mean, oh my gosh! A little shout out to the guys who went to Eastern and Great Flood and Third Turn. No way! Those yeah. guys went to Eastern. The Great Flood and Third Turn. Both those both those breweries went to Eastern. I did. So. I did not know that. What are their names? Because I did not know that. Did I, I put you on the spot you. there? Yeah, dude. And I feel so bad because I had a like a fifteen minute conversation of a tour of the brewery at Third Turn. <laughs> With my dog through all of the... With your dog. <laughs> Interesting. I've never had a... a uh, Go to Third Turn. They let you bring your dogs, bring outside food in. That's the one that's over in Oldham County, right? J-Town. J-Town. Well, they just, they oh, have they a, just opened like one a, in Crestwood. Okay, yeah. I knew that they had one out here. And then Great Flood has been... That's a, I feel like that's been a beer for as long as I've been. Sparkstown Road Staple. Yeah. Never, never had Quality. a Great Flood beer, yeah. though. Always. But and known for having the first uh, Great Lakes Winter Ale every year. Tap. On tap. First, okay. first place. I'm not, uh, and that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of great or winter Christmas beers. Christmas sale. I'm sorry. Christmas that's okay. There's a yeah. there's a lot of great winter beers. Like Sam Adams quality. winter beers. The white, are great. the white ale from uh, Bell's is just fantastic. But not, not to get us derailed, but just something no, about beer. No, and, dude. And I going mean, to Eastern High School, you know. 
I could sit here and have a conversation. We could just do this show for three hours talking about all kinds of good beer. I've got Bell's Oberon in my refrigerator because it is officially the season for Bell's Oberon. I was telling my wife earlier when I used to when I used to serve my sales for Bell's Oberon were through the roof because that's all I ever told people like just get Bell's Oberon. It's Blue Moon, but it's far better. Yep, I, I would agree with that assessment. Yeah. Anyways, all right, let's get back on track. We've got Colin here tonight. We're going to talk a lot of Louisville football. We're not going to just talk about Scott Satterfield. We're not going to just talk about uh, where things are headed. But we're going to we're going to go back in time. We're going to hop in the time machine. We're gonna go back as uh, as far as freshman and sophomore year for Colin. But Colin, let's start let's start with you because I think you have a really interesting story of high school football. Even as a you know, I think most people know that you started as a walk on. Did you end on scholarship? Yeah, the okay. last two years, the two years I started, I was on scholarship. Okay, and for those of you who don't know Colin, Colin played here. What years? Uh, so my first year, I do it by bowl games. That's the okay. easiest way to do it. So my first year was Russell Athletic Bowl. So that was Georgia. Uh, no. No, that was Miami. Miami, Miami. Yeah. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. Okay. So it went Russell Athletic, Belk, yep, and, Music City. And Belk was Georgia because that's was when Georgia. Nick Chubb went, yeah. went ham against the yeah. defense. Yeah. And, and then Texas A&M for the Music City Bowl. Yeah. And, and then you finished with Darius guys trucking yeah, yeah, get, my yeah, good friend Blanton. <laughs> yeah, getting your ass kicked in the LSU. Yeah, basically a uh, carbon copy of the Belk Bowl. Yeah, exactly. Right. Just a, and and it's so funny how much hope Louisville fans had to beat an SEC school in each right, bowl game. Right. I mean, the Texas A&M game was truly just magical. Like that game was wild. I mean, they're third string quarterback. That's true. That's I mean, true. I'm not trying, but at the same they time, still so had, so they, they still had. had they still had Miles Garrett on the field, so that's a little feather in our cap. And, and, and Lamar really burst on the scene. Yeah, right. Um, uh, I'm, no, no offense to your last ever football game, but I spent the fourth quarter in Disney World. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> I, t- I, I took my now fiance, and it was really cold. And we just well, it was cold for us. Oh, I don't blame you. Shape, I don't blame you. It was cold, but you went to Disney World. Well, yeah, well, we were, I, I I did one of those whole, like, oh, we're going on vacation, but I also got us football tickets. <laughs> but it's to the magical place on Earth. So. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, okay, so, um, anyways, back to high school. You started out, you played for three years in high school. We went to, so Colin and I went to high school together, a uh, year apart. Uh, you played for three years. The fun thing is you were a quarterback. Were you good at quarterback? I mean, if you would have asked fourteen-year-old me, I would have been like, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Looking asked, back now, you asked twenty-four-year-old me. I had uh, seven total varsity snaps at quarterback. Okay. Um, and you play? Did you play behind Brett Carnell? So Brent was a senior my freshman year. Okay. Uh, and that was about the the highlight of Eastern. That football. was the year they went what like nine and one or something like that or nine and two. They went nine and one. Lost and to Trinity. That they was lost it. to Trinity in the regular season, and then they won the first two rounds of the playoffs, yeah. and then got spanked by yeah. Trinity. Again. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Okay, so um, so you played you played high school football, but only for three years. Yeah, but I was a long snapper. So okay. pe- some people don't forget that they're like, man, you tell yourself how to snap. Yes, but I did snap in high school. Okay. I just didn't. I didn't really broadcast it. So, how did you end up at Louisville playing football? Uh, I mean, just kind of a, a crazy story. So, I ended. Uh, my brother was a baseball manager at UVL, so I quit football after my junior year to focus on baseball. Um, that was my that was my main idea going in um, to quitting football, and so um, I ended up getting hurt in spring of my senior year for baseball and so I really didn't play that much um, 
Nobody, no one wanted Colin Hobe on their roster for baseball. And so my brother was enjoying his time as baseball manager at UofL, so I said, you know what, I'm going to go do this. Um, so I went there, great, great team. Um, I mean, some of my base, some of my memories as a baseball manager are some of the best memories of, of me being in college. I mean, just a great group of guys, still friends with a lot of those guys. Um, being able to learn under Coach Mack, um, I mean, I think – I think he's the best coach that Uvell's ever hired. Dan McDonald. Dan just McDonald. to clarify, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I think Chris Mack would yeah, be really say, good, too. So Chris <laughs> Mack actually hopped over from baseball after coaching there for a few years, the basketball team. The the OG Coach Mack. Right. Okay. Um, uh, but, no, I mean, I was enjoying it. I was really – I had friends. So uh, Robert Strader and Jonah Philly, who I played baseball with in high school, were there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just like window shopping. Um, and so they, the way they kind of did the managers, which is they had six, and so three of them were kind of on-field managers, and then three of them were uh, like video guys, like they were more the, the technical side of it. And so uh, because I played high school baseball because um, I was I could throw, I could hit, I could do everything they needed me to do. I was kind of a little bit of a practice player who also did laundry, but I would be putting on sweats. I- <laughs> <laughs> My wife says the same thing about me. <laughs> I'm a great practice player who also does laundry. Yeah, uh, so so I was doing that and it was awesome. I mean, I loved it, but it was like window shopping. Like it was like getting going to put on everything and knowing that you didn't have a card in the wallet that could that could could get what you you did. Um, and so I met uh, one of the backup quarterbacks, Kyle Todd, um, at freshman orientation and talked to him. Um, just kind of. Checking his brain, stuff like that, and just a little background information for everybody. Right now, I'm six five, two fifty five. You were not six five, two fifty five no, in high school. No, so that's no why I'm, that's, that's yeah. why I'm giving you <laughs> yeah, background say, information. So it wasn't that. just like it wasn't just like it didn't just make sense because when I graduated high school, I was six two, uh, one seventy five. So I talked to my buddy Kyle, and he was like, "Well, we only have one long snapper on the team." And I was like, "You know what? Like." I know I haven't played football my senior year, and, and they're doing pretty good this year, so I bet you there's a lot of people that are going to try out, and then they end up winning the Sugar Bowl, obviously. Um, but something was just something was just tugging at my heart, and it ended up being God, and it's, you know, there's been, uh, I know this isn't a faith-based podcast, but there's just, there's so much expansion in my faith through right. this journey. Um, but so I, I put on weight, I put on the freshman 30, I tried out in January, I got cut, or I... I don't really think I got cut. I was. I feel like you got to be on the team to get cut. Did they just kind of tell you? Yeah, they, just, like, they, they just, just kind of left yeah. you outside. Well, they did it like old school style. Like they literally posted on the door who made the team. And if you saw your name, great. Yeah. Like show up tomorrow. We'll get you fitted. If you didn't, like we'll see you in the fall. And so uh, the only way I even knew about the tryouts. So uh, right now they're on Twitter and stuff like that when they right. have walk on tryouts. The only way I knew my freshman year was they posted it on the facility door because they didn't want a lot of guys to try out. And so my buddy, Kyle Todd, actually was leaving the facility. He was getting ready to transfer. Took a picture of it, sent it to me, and said, hey, there's a meeting next week. I thought you might be interested in it. So they only had one long snapper, Grant Donovan, on the team. I was like, you know what? Like, you got to have at least two in every position. Right. Similar story to you. It should be mentioned, you know, kind of like, kind of similar story out of high school local product not like big hype right it's, it's kind of it's kind of similar similar coming out you're talking about grant yeah yeah, yeah i mean right. they knew about him so he was definitely he wasn't a uh didn't come in on scholarship but they knew about him right, um, right. so not the tryout walk-on but yeah he came in as a walk-on as a local guy 
Um, but Mitch yeah. Hall might be the only walk-on to ever, or the only long snapper to ever get a scholarship, right? Uh, they'll probably offer a kid that'll end up playing when Mitch leaves. Okay, um, but th- that's the only Louisville guy I feel like ever got. Because I feel like I've known more long snappers in my life than anything. I was growing up, Dane Mattingly was a close family friend. So, like, I knew about Dane, and then I knew about, you know, his older brother, Chip, was very very close with their family. So, like, the the long snappers, that's always who I end up being friends with in, like, life. I just feel like we're, I mean, no offense to any other guys, just I just feel like we're great people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we blend in with everybody. So, okay, so tell me about, you, you're on the team, right? So, you're playing with, at this point, I, I believe, you, so your first season was 2014, 2013. 13. My first season, yes. Yeah, so it was the year we lost to Blake Bortles at uh, UC, okay, UCF. Okay. Right. We went 12 and 1. Right, right. Okay, and then, like, how did that, I don't remember how that season ended, I'm not going to lie. Was so that, we, that, that was Miami. Miami. We okay. beat Miami. But, like, Houston almost lost to Duke. Right. Uh, there was a, like, Temple almost lost. And so we were, or Temple almost beat UCF. Houston almost beat UCF. Right, I, I do remember that. So we were, like, hanging on for dear life. UCF right. had, like, the craziest, they had, like, a series of, like, who was that kid on there? I don't even know who it was, but this guy Storm had, like. Storm Johnson. Storm Johnson. He had some crazy plays that kept a little out of a BCS. Yeah, like, so, and just to, because I think a lot of people forget about how good this team was, so. That D-line had Marcus Smith, first-rounder, Sheldon right. Rankins, first-rounder, right. B.J. DeBose, draft pick, Lorenzo Malden, draft pick, Brandon Dunn, who's now, now anchored right. it down with the right. Houston Texans. Right. At linebacker, you had James Burgess played in the NFL, right. Preston Brown, who led the NFL in tackles. Right. You had um, Calvin Pryor, Calvin Pryor, first-round pick. Right. You had Hakeem Smith, Hakeem Smith, four-year right. starter. You had Disgusting. Charles Gaines played in the NFL. Right. Right, and, um, was Andrew Johnson on that team? Andrew Johnson was on that team. Terrell Floyd was on that team, and he was blind in one eye. Yeah. Plus, you had Keith Brown, who's a freshman All-American. Right. You had Keith Kelsey coming off the bench that year. Right. You had D'Angelo Brown coming right. off the bench. Right. I mean, that I, I think people forget about how good those strong defenses were. Oh no, I don't. I I definitely I definitely agree with the point of how good they were. I don't. I don't agree with how people forget because I feel like we oftentimes when we talk about Louisville's defense, we talk about if only it could be half of what Charlie Strong's oh defense gosh. was. And all of those guys, for the most part, not to get off on a tangent, came in as you know not high rated. No. I mean, I no. think Keith Brown and Nick Dawson were the it two was, kids that it were was really rated. Louisville's highly highest rated class was the year with Teddy Bridgewater, right, and uh, Preston Brown, right, right. And so there was a bunch of guys, uh, Terrell Floyd, I think. Right. So there were a bunch of guys in that class right. that made it the high, highest ranked class. Right. They were all on offense. You had Eli, you right. had Teddy, yeah. right? Right. 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 Yeah. right. So no, Devontae was a low three star. Right. That's crazy. Right. So tell me, me, give give me what you remember just quickly. The first time you stepped onto the field playing, not so, just the first time you were warming up, but the first time you actually took the field to play. So for a live game or for practice? No, for a live game. So it was against uh, it was against Murray State. Um, it was Bobby's first year. Um, and it was a blowout, just absolute blowout. Mm-hmm. And my freshman year, I thought I was going to play because we beat EKU seventy-seven mm-hmm. nothing. Didn't punt. Um, that didn't happen. <laughs> but so I get on the field, and it's basically garbage time. He's put in every walk on. Literally, I think eighty-five guys played that game. I'm so jacked up because I'm like, man, all you got to do is play one play and I letter. So, like, I'm going to get a letterman's jacket this year. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, low key, the front of my mind was, hey, man, let's just go cover a punt. Like, just just get Josh the ball and let's go cover a punt. Just get back to the sidelines. Just kind of get the monkey off your back. 
And in the back of my mind, I was like, and then you get to walk around campus with a Letterman jacket. <laughs> and at that point, you've officially made it. Because everybody walking by is like, oh, man, who's that guy in the Letterman jacket? He's got to play football. No, everybody thought, until I until I was really over 240, everybody thought I was a baseball player still. Yeah, okay. <laughs> or a swimmer, one of the two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you played four years, well, three years, right? I played four. Okay, four years. So you... I played two. Okay, but you were on the team for... For four. For four, okay. So you go from being a kid who played three years of high school football to being a walk-on long snapper who was cut or not allowed to come back for a semester (laughs) to being on the same team as a Heisman Trophy winner. Two first-round pick quarterbacks. Yeah, two first-round pick quarterbacks to being the first player drafted from Louisville in a draft where you had guys who looked like they could potentially be third, fourth rounders. How, you know, I, I know you very well, so I know I know your faith, I know where you come from, but that, what, what, just kind of give me, like, I mean, I don't even know if there's an answer to this. Like, how did that happen? Like, that is, that's a, like, that's a movie. Like, for real, right? I mean... Yes. Right? I mean, like, I mean, I mean you, you went from barely playing high school football, playing quarterback, to being a baseball manager, to being an NFL draft pick. I mean, it's... It's it, yeah. I mean, I got blessed with genetics that that took me to, from six two to six five. I was blessed with genetics that I could put on fifty pounds my freshman year and then kind of lean out and get up to to two fifty. Um, and then a lot of it is is luck again because as long snappers, there's not a ton of stuff. There's no quantifiable stat. Like as a punter, you know, you have the actual stats. As a kicker, you have actual stats. Mm-hmm. As a snapper, it's all kind of the eye test. Right. And so I didn't even go into my senior year. I was like, look, if I can just go to a rookie minicamp, I was like, just get an invite. Like, that would be cool. Um, I'd already had an internship uh, in business. I got a finance degree. I was like, you know what? Like, this is fun. Like, this is a great time. Um, let's just not put super high exp- – like, let's go out and do – have a great year, but let's not have, like, an NFL or bus mentality just because right. it, it's so crazy. Um, and so about October of my senior year, I started getting flooded with agents contacting me. And I was like, man, like uh, talking to some other guys and they weren't getting, they weren't getting the attention I was getting from agents. And I was like, man, that's kind of cool. And then I got invited to the senior bowl and then I got invited to the NFL PA bowl. And I was like, well, this is, this is kind of different. Did you, did you go to the combine? I did go to the combine. You did go to the combine. So I got invited to all that stuff. Um, and that's not that's not common, right? I mean, so there's generally there's one snapper at the combine, right? There's how many teams in college football? Three hundred something. I mean, two hundred something. I mean, there's a lot. Of, so there's two hundred plus there's long there's snappers. Yeah, yeah. Two that probably make the senior bowl. Two make the senior bowl. One make the combine. One I makes mean, the combine. My year special. there was two. My year there was two. Every other year there's been one. Um, and so I was looking at the stats, and at the senior bowl, uh, generally it, they would invite the snapper they thought that did the best from the senior bowl to the combine and then if you were the snapper that went to the senior bowl and the combine the past two years you got drafted and so in the back of my head i'm like is is this real like is this like like this is this is what's happening in recent history right um and it up and it did end up happening right um but being the first one drafted i was not expecting that i mean we had Seven guys go to the combine. We had three guys invited to the Senior Bowl. Um, I mean, you had Josh Harvey Clemens. You had Devontae Fields, right. who were both highly recruited. Devontae right. Fields had a had a great year at TCU. Right. He did. A, he was pretty good. 
at U of L. You had Josh Harvey Clemens, who's a super versatile guy. You had Keith Kelsey, who's just right. a solid inside linebacker. So right. like four or five star guys, right? right. Yeah, coming yeah. out of high school. Right. right, and then not to mention Cole Hikatini, who Hikatini. was potentially the best tight end Louisville had had at that point. Yeah, since and maybe Gary Barnett. Yeah, right. Yeah. Since Barnett, right? That's what 10, I was 15 say. years, probably at least. Yeah. So yeah, the freak athletes, just absolute, just studs. Right. Yeah. Right. Even even Keith Tobridge, James Quick. James Quick was the most highly recruited player ever to come to U of L. Right. Right. So for those to be the guys in my draft class, I was like, man, like it was it was not what I was expecting. I was not expecting right. Cole to drop. I was not expecting right. Josh to drop. Um. Right. And now you and Josh are the only two guys left in the league. I mean, I know Cole's kind of bounced around between Minnesota, started in San Francisco, played towards the end of his first year. Minnesota, I don't think he played last year. He didn't. He was on P-Squad. and they, played, right. they I do know they paid him more than P-Squad minimum, so I think that he's in their plans going forward. Right. Um, right. And then and then did, didn't you and Keith Kelsey go to camp together in Pittsburgh? I know he's been cut by them twice now. He's been cut, but he's also been put on P-Squad by them twice. So right. I don't know what's going I don't really know right. uh, what his story is. But it's it's just wild to me. I remember I, I'm a huge NFL draft nerd. in that class, right? Right. Who's last time I saw them? I mean, no longer running over dudes in the AAF, but yeah. has been running over dudes in the AAF. Oh yeah. But I can remember going back to that draft and just being like, what? Like I I watch all seven rounds. Like I see all 256 picks, and knowing that you know Cole was in that draft. Keith Kelsey was my. These are dudes who like were the foundation of Louisville. Oh yeah, they were cornerstones. They were two-year starters, three-year starters. Right, right. Yeah. And then this long snapper who I went to high school with, who I remember playing quarterback and not being very good at it, was the <laughs> dude like that's drafted. Yeah. I mean, like I, I mean, it's just wild. So tell me about, and I don't want to go too deep into this. Well, we we might we might catch back into this at the end. But tell me about how. Tell me about being in Pittsburgh. That's who drafted you, fifth round. Six rounds. Six rounds. Pick two thirteen. Okay, two thirteen. Tell me, just tell me a little bit about your experience of going to camp with them and, and just being around some of these guys right now who are just larger than life stars. So and, yeah, so sorry. No, you're good. I was just gonna say like Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, like, these dudes. Marcus Pouncey, Right. Yeah, right. the list goes on and on and on. James Harrison. Yeah, the list goes goes on and on and on. Right, and you're rubbing shoulders with these dudes like yeah. every day. Going yeah. to work with them oh, yeah. like in the I mean, showers with them. You got to earn <laughs> right. You got to earn you got to earn these dudes respect who are like real deal. Oh yeah. I mean, Alejandro Villanueva was right. in a literal war. Right. Right. And uh, here you are long snapper drafted. They're probably not going to learn your name for a while until you make them learn your name like, Right. Tell right. me about that. So, I was actually a Steelers fan all growing up. So it was, I knew the Steelers had interest in me. Um, so my agent had told me they had interest in me. At the senior bowl, I talked to the GM. At the combine, I talked to the GM and the special teams coach. Um, at pro day, I talked to the GM and, and Coach Tomlin. So I knew they had interest in me. Um, I also knew the Saints had interest in me. Like They came up here. They had a private workout. Right. And so the Saints had told me, they are like, hey, uh, we're going to, we're going to, we want you really bad. Right. We can't draft you, but we want you. And so my agent kind of told that to the Steelers. They're like, "Look, like he's you know, he's gonna go to New Orleans if you don't draft him." So there was a little bit of leverage into it, but right. it was it was so surreal um, getting drafted. And I hate that word because everything's real life. Like right. You wake right. you wake up and that's real life. But it was just getting drafted by the team that you grew up rooting for. Right. I mean, I was in middle school when Big Ben won his first Super Bowl. Right. Um. And it was just surreal. Uh, and I kind of, looking back on it, um, 
I, I kind of lost my edge a little bit. I kind of pumped up my own head a little bit too much. Because, um, like I said, going into my senior year, I just want a rookie minicamp invite. I just want a rookie minicamp invite. And then I got both all-star games. I got the combine. and, and um, So I just, once you lose that edge in professional sports, the difference between college and professional sports, is it's all about the edge. Every player, every coach, every scout, like everybody has an edge. I mean, that's why Tom Brady, I think, he wanted to win six Super Bowls because that's what round he was picked in. Right. Like, I think Tom Brady wants to win more Super Bowls, but I think number six meant the most to him because that was his edge. Um, and so the biggest difference for a long snapper is you don't block in college. So having going from being a quarterback, never learned how to block, um, and then never having to block in college to now I have guys that are across from me that run a 4-6, four, 4-8, four, uh, they got like 30 on the 225. I mean, just far superior athletes compared to me, and I have to block them, and I've never learned how to block, period. Um, so there was a little bit of a learning curve, and that kind of set me back, um, just the whole blocking dynamic, and that was tough. Um, and they were, they'd had a, a snapper for about 12 years, and they really leaned on him for being a vet. And so that was kind of tough, transitioning from a 12-year vet to a rookie, um, and just everybody kind of working around that. And so um, I actually broke my, my pinky against the Giants in the first preseason game. And so I had kind of a, a tough preseason. Um, but I thought, I mean, man, they drafted me. Like, right, you're, I'm going to make the team. I was like, yeah, I mean, they got to give me at least three weeks. Like, they got to they gotta at least, like, get some ROI. Um, but, I mean, it's they, they have a history of, and you can go back on Wikipedia, they cut a sixth or seventh round pick every year. They cut Gerard Holliman, I think, a year before you, yeah. right? Yeah. Right? They, seventh round pick, cut him not even, in, they, I think, before training camp. Yeah, they always cut a sixth or seventh round pick just sort of to be like... Set the tone yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah, that's the word, set the tone. And the seventh round pick had, uh, he had ACL, or not ACL, AC joint surgery on his shoulder. Um and most of the time when they cut their 6th or 7th round pick, they end up signing them to P-Squad, so it's not like we completely get rid of you. Right. It's just kind of setting the tone, but you don't keep a, a snap around P-Squad. Right, right. Um, so it was a shock. I mean, it was a wake-up call, but it was the best thing that happened to me because it really showed me the business side of the NFL. Right, exactly. Um, and I hate it. It sucks. Uh, I hope no one gets cut. It's the worst feeling in the world. Um especially when I made it through all day, all day uh, Friday, and then I w made it through almost till the end of the day Saturday. So you're thinking, like, I'm good. Yeah. I oh, they told it. me going in the fourth preseason game, they're like, look, just have a good game, and you're good. Right. And that was from Tomlin. So I was like, all right. Like, had my best game of the preseason. My hand was finally feeling healthy. felt confident. And so they're like, yeah, like – you know, we're like, you know, what is your, what's your cleats going to be for your, my cause this year? Like the managers were getting set up for stuff down the road, like October, November type stuff. Um, yeah, I get called Saturday. I drive home Saturday night. Louisville's playing Purdue. Uh, it just, it just sucked, but right. it opens up your eyes to, man, this is a dog eat dog world. Right. And I would imagine now being three years into your career in the NFL, like, that's kind of helped you stay hungry every day, right? You're not complacent anymore, knowing that like they can just get rid of me today, like or tomorrow. Like I, my, nothing is guaranteed here for me. No, oh, and and it's almost like that that mindset when you grow up, and it's you know, oh, that happened to so and so, but that'll never happen to me. Oh, so and so's parents got divorced, but you know that that'll never happen to me. And just it's just sort of that like, oh, you got cut. That sucks, man. Like I, I feel for you, but that'll never happen to me. And then you get that phone call. 
and you're like, oh, man, it did happen to me. Right. Right. Like, I'm not that, like, I'm special, but I'm not that special. Right. Right. So, all right, let, let's kind of, again, let's kind of back up here. Let's go back. We could spend a couple of, of minutes uh, talking about the first couple of years of your career. Um, it, just give me kind of, set the table of what your relationship was like with Coach Petrino early on in your career there. Uh, at this point, everything is going really well for Louisville. Cons- you know, consistent, uh, y- consistently getting better every year. Uh, you transition from, uh, you know, he he takes over first year. He's got Will Gardner as his quarterback. Open the season against Miami and a blackout at Cardinal Stadium. Everything's wonderful. And that year, you know, there's kind of the ups and downs. Of course, you you have Clemson, you've got Florida State, and, and Louisville at that point's not ready to compete with those teams. But still, a lot you of Notre Dame that year, though. I mean, the, right, was, right. You take Reggie, you go up to South Bend, you win that game. Possibly at that point, the biggest win of Bobby's career. But just kind of give me give me some insight behind the scenes of you know your relationship with Bobby, the team morale at that point, like heading into this is pre Lamar, so Lamar, no one's not even you know no one knows who Lamar is at this point. Like we're Louisville fans are con- pretty sure that Reggie Bonifant is the quarterback going forward. Like right. so, just kind of set the table as, the best you can at that point of just Bobby Petrino. It, it really the beginning still in the honeymoon phase of his yeah. of his second tenure here. Yeah. So the first thing is my first thought when we got Bobby. Uh, was how perfect is Will Gardner for Bobby Petrino? Yeah, I mean, if if you look at him, he's a big, athletic dude who plays with um the play action, big time arm. I mean, to me, it was like a dark haired Brian Brom. I right. was like, big guy can throw, is accurate, was comfortable. Um, I, I think that was the storyline going into that season. Oh was you know Bobby's got his guy already going into. Oh the my season. gosh! I mean, he had. Uh, Dominic Brown, who everybody was like, oh, he's not Michael Bush, but, you know, same yeah. role. He yeah. had Devontae Parker. He had good tight ends. He Michael had a good O-line. Yeah. Uh, well, it, yeah, well, but. Yeah, know. I mean, he had him. He was on the roster. We didn't even know about B-Rad. Right, right. <laughs> um, so it was, it was, man, Bobby's got his guys. He was successful here. Um, on the flip side, though, it's almost like, and now my parents are, are happily married, so I, I can't speak 100% from this feeling, but. I've gotten a lot of guys who, who kind of nodded their head to this. It's almost like having a stepdad. Really? Um, because you're recruited by Strong. Um, that's what you, that's the only thing you know. Right. He brought you into his home. Like, Strong was there before you, then he brought you in. Mm-hmm. So you just naturally go along with his way of life, right. his style of coaching. You committed to him because he um, coaches one way, and you liked it, and he went and met with your parents, and he went into your home, and he was the one that you signed for. I mean, you had to... Probably at that point, a two, three year relationship. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. You'd you'd won a Sugar Bowl with him, so you'd had success with his mm-hmm. with his system, um, and so you get you get Bobby, and it's totally different. Everything's mm-hmm. totally different, and you were there before him. I mean, like Bobby, Bobby was there, but mm-hmm. but so much has changed that that now this is your home. Like this is where I committed to. This is where I've been going to work every day, and now you're. You're coming in here and telling me how I have to do it, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's what right. the coach does, but it's almost just like, man, this is a totally different atmosphere, just a totally different. And so it just was almost like having a stepdad of just, you know, there's some things that are like, man, like I really like this new policy they've right. got, and there's other things where it's like, man, we were we won a Sugar Bowl and we didn't do it this way last year, right? And so it was just a little bit like guys weren't weren't 
quite sure if they wanted to buy in because you had a, it was a very old team. We had ten draft picks that year. Bobby's first year we had ten draft picks. So it was a very old team. Right. Bonkers. Um, That's crazy to think about. Um, very good team. We'd had success. We won the Sugar Bowl. Um, so very confident, very older, very mature team. And so it was just they they weren't one hundred percent bought in. And I don't blame them. I mean, it's just it was just kind of the way it worked. Well, and if you think about like the way that the culture was set up, so you had Bobby one point who was just like going back to those times. It was just kind of like they were the badass, like up and coming, um, you know, new kid on the block. Um, and then Cragthorpe kind of came in, and, and that kind of went away a little bit. So Strong kind of rebuilt and did his own thing. He had his own brand when he came in, and then Bobby came back. And obviously, the expectation is probably, you know, Petrino's like, oh, this is like, you know, kind of old hat, like. I'd been at Louisville as an assistant for what three, four, five years. Been a head coach at Louisville for four or five years. So you know he he kind of expected probably to come in and have reestablish his brand. When in reality, you had a bunch of recruits that came to play for the for the strong brand. Right. Oh, and the other thing is is Jurch. Like Jurch hired him the first time. Jurch hired him the second right. time. So that's kind of uh, the overarching umbrella over the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Is Jurch came in and was like, look, just trust him. And so Jurch did a right. lot of the recruiting for the guys that were already there. Okay. So the pre, like the like each transition from coach to coach, you, you know, their biggest duty first off is to kind of re-recruit their team. So right. you're, you're saying that that was Tom that did that. Like it wasn't Bobby. Bobby didn't come in like guys. You got to trust me. Like we're gonna be great. It was Tom that came in. I and mean, kind of like Bobby. So Bobby did it. No, Bobby definitely came in and was like, hey, like this is what I've done. He's like, you know, we've had a lot of great success here at UofL. Um, he went way back in the yearbook. He talked about the Rutgers game. He talked about the West Virginia game. He right. talked about, I mean, just all, I mean, he went in the yearbook and he was like, look, like, like I have roots here just like you have roots here. Right. And and for most of those dudes, they probably don't know who he is. Well, they, yeah, they, you do. Because you grew yeah. up as a fan of yeah, Louisville, right. or at least in Louisville, knowing who he was and what he was all about. Yeah. And so most of the guys, and this isn't trying to be like, you know, air out dirty laundry, but just most of the guys didn't know about Bobby when he was at Louisville. Most of the guys knew about Bobby when he was in Atlanta, um, because that was on the nat- that was in the NFL, that was on the national stage. And you had guys like Keith Brown told me he'd never even heard of U of L before Coach Strong recruited him. Interesting. Um, but it doesn't surprise me though. No, I mean it just you know if you don't like college basketball and U of L hadn't been relevant for a couple of years, I right. mean they were the Big East, but. You were in ACC country, SEC country. You were in right. Gator country, Kane country. Um, so, yeah, I mean, George came in. Um, there was a lot that George was in. Like, hey, like, this is my guy. Like, I brought in Strong. You guys love Strong. You trusted me. I'm bringing in Bobby. He's my guy. Like, like he's had a lot of success here, guys. Like, we're going we're gonna to be good. And it just was a lot of – I think if we had had a younger team, there would have been just easier to buy in. But you had guys that had played for Strong for – they either transferred schools like Matt Milton and Joe Christian. Right. Um, and then you had guys that had just been there for a while, and they liked his personality, and they liked having Coach Hurt, and they, you know, they just liked everything about uh, playing for Coach Strong. Um, and so, yeah, Bobby was, was just recruiting the team and just trying to – utilize all the talent that he had because he had a wealth of talent from my perspective though i was like brand new coach strong didn't recruit me he just put me on the team which was nice like i was i'm forever grateful for him for letting me be on the team but like i was like man i'm gonna try and take take grant's spot Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. now he'd started for three years already right so the odds weren't very good but my mentality was it didn't new, matter yeah m- new coach like right, every spot's day. open right exactly and so it ended up i traveled my first year uh, the first game the first home game i got to do a card march was a Florida state game um i got to go to the notre dame game which was awesome 
I got to play that year. And so for me, I was like, all right, I'm not this tryout walk-on in his eyes. I'm just another guy on the team. Right. Right. Okay. So I want to ask you about that Clemson game. And I think this will kind of set the scene for the next two years. That Clemson game, to me, was just as big of a heartbreaker as as two years later because you almost are in the same situation, right? So Louisville's down by 14 with like a minute and a half to go. I remember this because my buddy left my apartment. He's like, all right, this game's over. Louisville scores, right? They bring it back within seven. I don't remember how they get the ball back, but they do. Pick. Yeah, pick. Right. Okay, so they pick it off, and James Quick gets a uh, a pass down the sideline, takes it. I mean, the dude's gone. This is a guy you're talking about, all-state, all-time record holder for in the city of Louisville, state of Kentucky, has breakaway speed, and he gets tracked down. Does that change anything for the team in terms of morale in that season? No, because what a lot of people didn't know is Quick had a bum knee that game. Okay, interesting. Um, See, I didn't know that. And, and that's something, it was one of those where he was going to play, and so why bring it up? And we didn't have Devontae at that point, so it was right. like, like, dude, you gotta, you got to be one of the guys. Right. Um, I don't want to say that it changed the momentum of the season because there were a lot of highs and a lot of lows. I mean, we struggled against Miami that uh, that year, but Corvin had that kickoff return for a touchdown that just right. exploded the game and turned everything around. Right. And then we go out and Pitt waxes us in that first half. I forget what that score was like in the first half. Forty-two seven or something, right? Yeah. Oh no, that was the that was the next year. My bad. Yeah, that was the next year. year. No, yeah, yeah. no, no. So you're, Virginia is the game. Virginia, and that's yeah. the game right. where the okay. punt at the end, like yeah. Harris couldn't hang on to the ball. I mean, you did. Yeah. Yeah, that game. It yeah, just yeah. yeah. It was just so many highs and lows. Right. I mean, we go up to Notre Dame and beat them. It just it was one of those where it was it was the flux of. Of a bunch of 20, 21, 22-year-olds right. saying, am I going to show up for this guy? Like, I don't know if he's got my back. Right. So, but did it did it, did it it help, right? So, I mean, you, you, you come into the ACC in your first season, and you almost knock off Clemson. Now, Clemson at this point was Deshaun Watson as a freshman. Well, he got hurt that year, Right, too. he did. But this isn't Clemson that we know. They're not even ranked at this, at this point yet. But does that kind of help, Bobby? Start to kind of build up like these dudes being like, oh, you know what? Like, this is it, man. We're going to start competing now. Like, so, we've got this. So, from my perspective, and I could be totally wrong, and, and you could have people argue with me until they're blue in the face. My perspective was, we were going to do the best we could that year. Bobby was going to manage the talent as best he could. He was going to get through it. And we had a lot of ups and downs with quarterbacks. I mean, we played. I mean, that was the year that Kyle Bowen came in. And we were getting crushed by Kentucky. And Kyle Bowen right. comes in. And him and Devontae Parker have a second half for the ages. Right. Um, and, and Reggie was up and down. And Will was up and down and hurt. We even had Brett right. Nelson play. Right. Um, and so he didn't. He ended up not having his quarterback. But he had talent everywhere else. Right. And so it was just kind of managing the talent keeping everybody everybody bought in and then he just recruited the crap out of his own guys coming in that next year and he knew the guys he was going to get rid of right. he knew the guys that were leaving and so it was like I don't want to say it was a, it was a, a red shirt year for Bobby right. but he kind of knew that no one was really going to judge him right um, but he had a team that two years previous won the Sugar Bowl, and then the year before had one loss, and the only loss was to a UCF team that only had one loss. All right. All right. So I've got a question for you. 
what happened with Don Brown that year? What was, what was the deal with Bobby and Don? Like, Dom is the guy the year before, right? And to Louisville fans, he's Michael Bush 2.0, right? 6'4", 225 pounds. What happened? Is, I mean, I is there anything? Know. Is Dom the first player that Bobby just kind of picked on? No, Will was the first player Bobby picked on. Because, I, I mean, that, that year, I think, Dominique, I think Dominique Brown fumbled in the first game. He the struggled first against Clemson. Right. Um... B-Red just came out like a beast, though. So it was more. Uh, it, it was more of of other running backs kind of stepping up, less than uh, or more than Dom doing something wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a combination of the both. And again, I mean, I'm a snapper, so I just snap the ball. But right, but you're but, you're but on the B-Red. B-Red but B-Red was a beast. Right. I mean, he you put him behind Jamon Brown, John Miller, and Jake Smith, and B-Red was an animal. I mean, you couldn't see him, and you see. Like he's just a wrecking ball. Right, he is a little muscle ball. Um, and he, I mean, his his Notre Dame game was great. I mean, he right. just he was a beast. And I mean, people like Dom had his struggles the year before, even was strong, and it kind of bounced back between him and Sonoris. Right, right. I mean, I'm looking at. It, I mean, but he almost a thousand yards. Oh, he's a great, great back, right. great back. I five point three yards per carry. Yeah, I, mean, I think he just. I don't know if he could buy in 100%. He was battling with a little wrist injury. Um, and B-Rod was just, B-Rod was an animal that Interesting. year. Okay, so let's let's jump forward a little bit more. Kentucky. That's the, the infamous picture of Bobby with uh, Kentucky's coach. Uh, that was the game where Kentucky tried to start a fight uh, with, you know, uh, rumors have it the coaching staff was really the ones that kind of spurred that on from Kentucky. And you have the picture of Bobby just mad Bobby, like, you know, just this is like where we see the Bobby that Louisville fans wanted to see, right? Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Were you on the field when that happened? Yes. Okay. Specialists got there first, right. so I was on the field. Right. I was actually holding back Michael Dyer. Right. Okay. <laughs> Not doing much. You should, that you, that, I think we should all blame you for that because if you would let Michael go, we saw what that guy looks like, what he could do. I think that <laughs> Kentucky might have been a little bit more scared. Um, tell me a little bit about that fight because that was that that's like I mean there's not been a moment like that I mean obviously you got a uh, dude from Kentucky a couple years ago throwing a trash can you've got uh, the fight with Lamar in the corner of the end zone but like that was the first Louisville Kentucky like rivalry moment in a while and Bobby's the one at the center of it so so I think it's all pretty well publicized but Bobby hates Kentucky yeah right Bobby hates Kentucky more than most people. I don't think people realize how much he literally despises Kentucky. And so all year he's been talking about how much he hates Kentucky, how much he hates Kentucky, how much he hates Kentucky. And so in previous years, Bobby 1.0, he got to open up against Kentucky. And so he had all summer and all training camp to just unleash pain on him, which he generally did. This year, he just got to feed us with how much he hated Kentucky. Right. And then you put on the fact that they needed to beat us to go to a bowl game. Right. And so it was, he, I mean, he told us, he was like, look, like, they're going to come out. They're going to try to get us off our game because they know that we've been kind of up and down. Right. But we have Devontae at this point, and right. Devontae's just been tearing it up. And he's like, Devontae, they're going to come after you. Like, they're going to come after you. Um. And so that was the moment when everybody was like, man, this dude really hates him. Right. And, and I don't know about you, but quite honestly, it's one of my favorite moments of the Bobby Petrino era. Like, that's kind of one of those things. There's a couple of really highlight moments for me with Bobby 
2.0, but that's that that is like I mean that that little two week sequence there. I think we thought that like Bobby 2.0 might might have been better than his previous tenure, just because you're coming off the win. Well, you know, Devonte comes back, pretty much just torch Boston College, and then NC the State. next was an NC State torching both. Yeah, right, and then and then you beat uh and then you beat UK, and not to mention you you're beating Florida State for nearly the whole game with Jameis Winston, right? The and I will stand by this. He's the best college football player I've ever seen. Jameis Winston? Unreal what I saw. Did you person. not watch Deshaun Watson? I never saw him in person. But Jameis Winston, then that he game, was, like that yeah. game alone. He just took over. I mean, what, aside, from, aside from Lamar and Teddy? I'm talking about... Opponents. You know, right, I'm talking about people right. coming in okay. and playing against Louisville. He is the best opponent I've ever seen. I mean, the dude, the way that he commanded... I mean... It's, it's a lot like the Louisville basketball game this year with Duke. Like, you just had a feeling Florida State was going to come back in that game. But that's besides the point, right? It so, is. But, so Bobby's getting things wrong at that point. You get you get smacked by Georgia, which is okay, right? So yeah. Georgia's a top 15 team in the country. Should have been in a much bigger bowl game. Right, right. Yes. So you have the whole offseason to prepare for what is probably the biggest opening game in recent memory with Auburn. Top 10 team. They're talking about... Um, Oh my God, Jeremy Franklin was that his name? What was the or what was the quote? James, James Franklin? No, no, no. no, 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 no the John, the Josh that. Johnson. I can't remember the dude's name. But yeah. they're talking about this dude t- t- taking over for Cam Newton, like the next Heisman. Louisville's Bobby Petrino plays uh, his cards right all summer long. Won't tell you who the starter is. You've got Reggie Bonifon, who kind of was the incumbent starter at the end of the year. You've got Kyle Bolin, who has the big Kentucky game, and then you got this kid that everybody's kind of heard about, but they're not really sure who he is. You know, high recruit. A lot of talk about Bobby didn't really want him, and almost goes to Florida. And the, you get on the field. Reggie's your quarterback. Reggie throws a pick on the first drive. Right? Lamar throws a no. pick on the no, 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 no. I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. You're right. So Lamar play. comes out. But Reggie was lined up in shotgun. They bring Lamar in motion. Right. Right. And Lamar just throws a horrible pass. in typical Lamar fashion. Yeah. He was just like <laughs> a 90 yard bomb that doesn't make it halfway. Gets picked. And, and Reggie comes out the next possession and throws the pick. Right, and that's when uh, after the game, Bobby talks about why he pu- he pulls Reggie out of the game, puts Lamar in. Bobby talked about Reggie didn't didn't chase down the 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 guy who picked off. I think he was a pick six, if I'm not mistaken. He takes I it. Thought back. it was a fumble. I thought it was an interception, no, no, yeah, but then the fumble at the end of the game was what really like yeah, this is the game. So, but Reggie throws a pick, and I believe it was a pick six. Bobby talks about after the game, I pulled him out because he didn't chase after. He you know he didn't try to chase him down at the end. Lamar comes in. I don't think Lamar throws a pass. You know, he throws for 100 yards in that game, but I don't think he throws a pass further than about five yards the whole game. He takes off running, and Louisville fans are like, "What the heck? <laughs> Whoa! What is right. this kid like? Right. Tell me about what you remember of that game. Just kind of watching him on the sidelines. Like you've been around him the whole summer. Like you knew how talented he was. He's so raw as a player at this point. But like, tell me like." Like, did you think Reggie was going to be the quarterback that whole game, or did you guys kind of know, like, all right, the first time Reggie messes up, Lamar's going in? Dude, I had no idea. I had no idea who was going to take the first snap at quarterback. I had no idea. Literally going into until we got to that Friday walkthrough, I had no idea. Did anybody else know? Like, did the uh, three dudes competing know who was going to yeah. start that game? Okay. Yes. Right. Kyle, so Kyle knew he wasn't going to be on the field. Right. Um, uh, and I got to throw this in there. How much did you all hate those jerseys with that weird bird? <sighs> I mean, I didn't. Uh, it, the fighting like yeah, alien bird. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it was the jersey wasn't bad because they looked good when they threw the silver L on them against Florida State. Right. Um, but, but that helmet was hideous, man. Yeah, yeah. But so 
here's here's when I knew how good Lamar was and that he was going to play no matter what. So summer or uh, training camp in the summer, first Saturday scrimmage we have, we go out for live punt. I'm looking back, and Jair's back there. I'm like, all right, like Jair, like normal, it's Jair. And then I see number eight is back there. Returning the punt. Returning punts. Because they didn't know how good he was going to be at quarterback, but they knew that this kid had to touch the ball. But he came here partially because he was going to play quarterback. Like, that's a big reason why he came here, right? We, I think we were the only one of the only schools that told him that we were going to give him a legitimate shot at quarterback. Because right. everybody right. else was like, yeah, we'll give you a shot at quarterback. Right, right. but you're probably playing running back. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but they were just, they are like, this kid is electric. we got to give him the ball. So he's back there returning punts. Then the next week, he's playing quarterback. I mean, he played quarterback. They just wanted to see him at punt return. The next week, he gets a pass batted down. He catches it. And instead of just panicking, he jukes T. Ross out of his shoes, tears his ACL, literally catches his own pass, tears his ACL, and runs for like 15 yards before anybody touches him. I mean, these two moments, I was like, this, like, I don't know how he's going to be special. I don't know that, he, I, like, I didn't think he was going to win the Heisman at this point, but I was like, man, this, this kid is must-see TV. Right, and you had already played around some special kids at that point. I mean, yeah, right? I played yeah. against Devontae my whole life. I right. played with Teddy. I was at the Cincinnati game when Teddy literally just was on one leg and just chucked it up in the back of the end zone. Right. Um, and I was just like, man, like, this kid is different. Right. Okay, so you go through that whole season, kind of, kind just of all those plays. Right, so that yeah. season you start out 0-3, Louisville fans. Yeah, 1-4. Yeah. Louisville fans, you know, kind of are freaking out. But at the same point, you kind of thought, okay, the Auburn game is kind of questionable. The Clemson game, obviously, they're now a top 15 program at this point. Houston was a good team that year. Right, right. That's with Greg Ward. Like, you know, that's when Houston is kind of stepping up to, to the plate as a good team. And I remember that game, how competitive that game was up until the very end. And, and that's when Lamar was able to kind of play through some of the mistakes at that point, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so, no, he, he started that game and then Kyle Bowen came in. Came in. Yeah, right, Bowen played well in that game, if, if I remember. Okay, I see. I thought that, I thought it was the opposite. I thought it was Lamar had gotten in at the end. Okay, so you, you finish that season 8-5. and five. You, you win the bowl game. But in that bowl game, like Louisville fans and the, the nation is introduced to Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I mean, he went, he went for 200 and 200. And I don't care what you say about, I know I said that Texas A&M had their third string quarterback. I don't care what you say. You give a team a month to prepare for anybody, and you're at a school like Texas A&M, like you have good football players. Right. And you have to mention you've got a potential, you know, eventually you've got the number, number one, one pick, on, pick on your defense. Yeah. Well, this is what I tell everybody is even the third string quarterbacks on scholarship. Like and probably a four-star kid. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um. Pretty sure Kyler Murray was at Texas A&M at that point. I'm pretty sure that was the year he transferred no, out. And Kyle Allen um, was another one. That yeah. Was at Texas A&M. So I mean, you're. This is when people. I just a little tangent, but like when people are like, "Oh, I think Trinity could have beat U of L last year." No, like the backups are on scholarship at U of L. Right. Like, right, right. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, you give a team a month, and Lamar was just so fun to play with. Right. And he finally got, like, we all knew that going into that game, it was his game. And he finally was able to sit down. He didn't have class to go to. He was only learning about football. He only had to learn about one team for a month. And they just let him loose. Right. Okay, so let me ask you this. And I don't, I, I want to ask this in a way that's not uh, uh, rude of Lamar, not rude, but like, you know, there was a lot of talk going into Lamar's sophomore year about like, oh, I'd never even looked at the playbook. Like, that, is that like, is there like some credibility to that? Like, 
Like, I mean, they talked about Lamar didn't study the playbook. Like, he did, he had never had a playbook his whole life at that point. Like, like I mean, you're kind of around his development day to day. Like, what? Like, did you guys? Like, I mean, I don't, I don't even know kind of how to phrase this question, but like, was there any truth to Lamar? Like, his he literally was just like, all right, go play. So, to the the casual fan, you think the playbook's the only way to learn? Bobby would take you through so many walkthroughs. So many walkthroughs that if you were a visual learner, then yes, you'd look in the playbook and you'd study and you'd learn the the exact verbiage and you'd do all that. If you were a hands-on learner, you'd go out there in the walkthrough and our, you know, we did, we would go through cards and we'd go through walkthrough and I mean, he, he wanted to be great. You don't accidentally become a first-round quarterback. I don't care what anybody says. You don't accidentally become a first-round quarterback. Right, and so he he wasn't a hands-on guy. I mean, he wasn't a playbook guy. He wasn't someone that could sit down, open up a notebook, and say, "Okay, this is how I do it." What he had was he had Kyle Bowen, he had Reggie, he had um, Ethan Horton, and they were out there with him. They were like, "Look, like this, 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 and this," and then he was so instinctual at looking at the defense that he knew what was going to happen with the defense. And so you had Kyle, you had Reggie, you had Ethan that were alongside him, and they were like, look, like this is what this means, this is what this means, this is what this means. And at the end of the day, the kid ran, runs, I don't know, he's never been officially time for 40, but I mean, the dude is lightning quick. And so at the end of the day, he has the ace up his sleeve. And so did, did some of the playbook go over his head? Yeah, I mean, the playbook was, I mean, four inches thick. I mean... You had to be there. I mean, Brian. it took Brian Brown three years to really master that Bobby Petrino playbook. Right. And the other thing is, is Bobby was learning just as, as much as Lamar was. And we saw that when Lamar left, that Bobby was having a hard time going back to that Bobby 1.0 playbook mm -hmm. because he got so used to having Lamar. And so that for, that Lamar's freshman year, it was a lot of Lamar learning how to be a college quarterback and handling everything and knowing every, what everybody does on the field, all 22 guys. Sometimes including the ref, if you're going to get away with a little bit of stuff. Right. To also, Bobby was learning how to. Bobby was like, "This dude's great. Like, this dude cannot come off the field. We got to have the ball in his hands." Mm -hmm. But I can't call my traditional power run up the middle, play action, dump to the tight end. Like, and so there was a learning curve for both of them. And so I think there was a lot of install every week that was specific to that game plan. And so a lot of it was on the field type stuff. Right. And so, okay, so Bobby with the players, like, what, what was, like, you know, there's a lot of talk recently about, you know, Bobby wasn't really a reachable coach. At this point, was he? Like, were you guys spending time with him? Like, was that something that was happening? Or, like, was he kind of just this, like, we see him on the practice field and then we go about our day? Like, was that something that kind of happened over time? Or was that, like, was that just who he was all the time? So with Strong, he's very approachable, very open door. Very, right. and so did you have his phone number, Coach Strong? No, did, did, but I mean, did most I, players though like is that oh, why they could pick up? Again, if I was if I was recruited by Strong, I'd have his phone number. Right. I mean, that was yeah. I mean, I I say no, but you could get Grant Donovan on here next week, and you guys could call him. I mean, he still talks to P. Moore. He still talks to to Strong. Uh, I talk to Hurt when I play him in the NFL. Right. Um. I mean, those guys are all super approachable. And so at first, when Bobby got there, guys were just used to having dinner with their coaches, like just having a conversation, asking about their day, asking about their family back home. And so there was, sorry, there was, guys were used to it. 
And as the strong guys started to be graduating, transfer, and leave, and the Bobby guys were coming in, it just it wasn't the norm. Right. Like, the only thing Bobby talked about was football. And so if you had a bad practice and you didn't want to talk about football, you want to talk about school, you want to talk about your family, you want to talk about something else, it just... You, you couldn't. Right. And that's not to bash him. I mean, he was a great football coach, but that was the only thing he could talk to you about. Right. I mean, I tried to reach him on golf a couple times because I, he's a big, big-time golf fan. Um, but it just – it was the transition of guys who were used to – the open-door policy was strong to just the different just the different feel with Bobby. So Bobby didn't come in and was like open-door and, and everything like that. But, I mean, Bobby came in and he was himself. Right. Like, he didn't really change. Right. But it was just kind of the culture of guys were used to talking to their head coach, used to – you know, the coaches would come and sit with the players when they were having dinner and talk to them about school, talk to them about their girlfriend, talk to them about their kids if they had them. And be just real personable and be able to take the mask off to where Bobby, you just weren't used to. Like, right. you just didn't do it. What about the staff? I mean, did you guys have good relationships with his staff? Bobby's first staff was awesome. Right. I mean, you had T Buck, you right. had Lamar. I mean, you right. just, they were awesome. You had uh, Grantham, who was a character. You had Court Dennison as a GA. Right. Uh, they were just awesome, awesome guys. Coach Brown. Um, Garrick McGee was the offensive coordinator. Yeah, yeah, super. Just, just great, great people. Right. Um, and so, yeah, they, they would have dinner with you. They would eat with you. They would hang out with you. But it was the head coach that, w- like, was right. just removed. I, I would, I, it was just removed from the situation. Right. Did that, and I, I don't know if you can answer this, but did that bother people? Or was that just kind of like it didn't even phase anybody? As far as the players or the staff? No, the players. of like just, like, not, like, really knowing their coach. Like, I mean, he's, you know, he's around for football, but, like, did, did it bother people that there was no personal relationship there at all? So the guys that had been there for, like, had one year left with Bobby, they did. Because they had that with Strong. Uh, Strong had a really good uh, grip on who he went and recruited. And that's why he had a lot of success. And people were like, oh, he had two stars. Oh, he had three stars. No, but Strong went and recruited who, like, he recruited the person, not the star. Right. And so he would get guys that would buy into him as a coach. And he didn't care if you were two-star, three-star, four-star, whatever. If your film showed that you were good enough to play ball at the next level, right. and you could, he knew that he would buy in, he would get you to buy in, it, it, you were good. And so those were the guys where Bobby, as you've seen, goes after the best athlete available. And that's just you know different ways to skin a cat. Right. Uh, but yeah, those guys were used to being able to talk to their coach. Right. Right. Okay, so you, we, we jump into the, to the next season, right? So you've just beat Texas A&M, like... This is where Louisville football is going to take off, right? right. So momentum's uh, just rolling. Right. right. I mean, there was a palpable buzz around the city. Right. <laughs> right. One could say whether there was a palpable buzz. So you open the season with two really, you know, Syracuse is bad at this point. Let's be honest. Like you open up with Charlotte. Seven, yeah, that was a quality ACC win. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I'm not. <laughs> that was gonna, a real ACC win. Right, I don't on, a, on a Friday night, even at that. So you open up the season seventy to fourteen. I think Lamar has like. Six touchdowns that first game. He played thirty minutes. Right, he played. He played <laughs> like two and a half quarters. The like, kid from Charlotte. Uh, who who was that? Was that a Greg Olson's little brother? 
The, uh, was the quarterback for Charlotte? Do you remember that? I have no was, idea. No, I think, I think it was. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but he was actually yelling. I was a student at the time. He was yelling at the student section, just wait until you guys play Florida State. Yeah, yeah. Like, so uh, his last name is just, Olson, so that's yeah. probably so, Kevin Olson. Yeah. So, so much irony to, to that statement, but especially now in retrospect, like, but that's all I kept yelling at the, at the student section was wait until you guys play Florida State. Yeah. You are gonna get crushed. Lamar throws six touchdowns, runs for two, eight. Touchdowns in three quarters. He, play, I, he definitely did. Uh, I remember that being yeah. the narrative. He played three quarters. Right. You go to Syracuse, the infamous play where I think that's this is the play that really kind of kicked. That was off. the Heisman play. Yeah, you you kick off the Heisman campaign as a sophomore right here with the, you know leaping over the dude in the corner of the end zone. And it's not just that. Like yeah, the first play of the game is a, like a seventy-five yard touchdown. Like, yeah, bottom you know, the quick. Right. They're just over the middle. Like just scored. They scored four, four touchdowns in, or three touchdowns in four minutes. Yeah. Or in four plays. Yeah. So, right. That's un- what it was. Unreal. Okay. So stupid. With the hurdle and and everything. Exactly. Ridiculous. Right. So this 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 narrative and, and through two games, I, I mean, it, it's unreal. Like the statistics in two games, like I think at this point I remember hearing he had scored more touchdowns on his own than like 50% of college football teams by the, like as a team. I want to say it was like 80. Yeah, I mean, so we scored yeah. like Thirteen touchdowns, two hundred points. Yeah. yeah, thirteen touchdowns in, in two like, games in like six quarters, maybe. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> didn't even play. And one of them was a road conference game. Like, say what you want about right. Syracuse. This is a road conference game. A right. team that you've lost to two years in a row. Now, looking back in retrospect, right. Yeah. I mean, you know. Right. So week three, game day comes to Louisville. First time in program history that game day is in the city of Louisville. This is the biggest game in program history in terms of just where the program is, right? I know obviously you've won a Sugar Bowl at this point in '91. You've won the you, you won the or the the Fiesta Bowl in '91. You win the Sugar Bowl, the Orange and, Bowl, and the Orange Bowl. Then you win the Sugar Bowl in '13. Like Louisville is obviously on this collision course, as as one might call it. Um, but game day comes to town. You have the number two program in the country. On the road, like coming in on the road. They were on Showtime. They had their own little hard knocks right, on Showtime. Right, like Jimbo Fisher has this team rolling. Like this is this is the matchup for Louisville, right? If you are going to prove that you are an ACC caliber team who can take that next step in not just being team number three, right? Not being behind Clemson and Florida State, but but being talked about in the same conversation as Clemson and Florida State. Like this game was everything. I, I worked at the time. I worked for iHeart. I was out at game day at 4 a.m. Like just like this was everyone who cared about local football was at game day. Like this was where it became real. That game, you go on to just put on this performance that like no one saw coming. Right, a win was something that I think a lot of fans thought might happen, but nobody saw it being 63 to 20, the worst loss in program history. Program history for one of the most prestigious programs in the country. Who'd won a national championship, what, two years before? Right, three right, years before. right, exactly, right. Lamar goes for 360 yards, four touchdowns, like just, just effortless almost at that. Like it was Jair almost unreal. had two punt, had one punt return for a touchdown, almost had two. Cramped yeah. up on the second one or something. Yeah, yeah. right. Ridiculous. So j- just leading up to that, like, I remember hearing that like Bobby like didn't prepare for Charlotte. Bobby didn't really put much effort into Syracuse. Like Bobby was focused a, a lot. Like I mean, obviously there's your game preparation for every game, right? But Bobby's eyes were on Florida State. Tell me about kind of the locker room leading up to that. Tell me about like what was going on. Like were you guys feeling like you were going to win? Like did did you go into that game thinking like that this is us? Like this is where we're going to do it? 
Yeah, I mean, and so you you mentioned the Florida State game, Bobby's first year. Uh, we were up, what were we up, like twenty one and a half time or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. mean, we we were we were in the driver's seat. If Jerron uh, Holloman would have just gone down instead of trying to run, he we would have won. Yeah, if Buds Kings and not right, no, right, but right, you know, we we were in that game. The next year, a year we started zero and three, we were up fourteen to thirteen at halftime. Mm-hmm. Um. At Florida State. At Florida State, and then Dalvin Cook just went bananas on us. Right. Um, but the narrative was, so the guys that were there for the the Jameis Winston game, like, all right, like, we can put up points against this team. The narrative from the year before was, hey, we weren't as talented of a team last year as we are this year, and we were beating them at halftime in their own stadium. Like, take off the mask. They're, like, they're, they're just college football players. Like, who cares about Florida State? They don't have Bobby Bowden on the sideline. They don't have, you know, Jameis Winston. They're a good football team, but so are we. And like, if we could just finish two games, we're we're a really good football team. So we went, we all went into it, and the whole mon- mantra uh, going into that year was like, "Look, guys, like we know how good Lamar is. Like we've seen him behind closed doors. If we can take care of him, and we still had a great Grantham defense." And so it was, guys, we're going to win the national championship this year. Like, we got to get through Florida State. We got to get through Clemson. And then we got to take care of business through the, the rest of the ACC. But we're going to win the national championship this year. That was a message that was being preached to the players. Absolutely. Absolutely. And our first, our first real drop the nuts and let's go play big boy football was Florida State coming into our house. And it just, it didn't matter that it was game day. I mean, we were, we were getting ready for Florida State. Whether it was game day or not, whether Corso picked us or not, um, whether it was going to be at noon or get it at eight, and we felt a little disrespected that it was at noon. Right, not, not going to lie about that one. Um, but it was if you want if you want to win a Heisman, if you want to win a national championship, this is going to be a game. You got to drop your nuts, lay the wood, right. and go have fun. And it got it got out of hand really quickly, and people saw that. Right, but okay. So you mentioned the Heisman Trophy. Is that is that something at that point that was like being talked about? Kind of. I mean, we we didn't we didn't give it as much thought as we did after the Clemson game. Really, after the Florida State game. I mean, after Lamar's performance against Florida State, and he was Sports Illustrated cover, and he was. I mean, once he put up his stats against Florida State that he'd put up against Charlotte and Syracuse. I mean, it became. This man's gonna win the Heisman, right? At that and point, now the rest of the world knows how good he is. He's got 18 touchdowns through three games. And it, it came out. It came out later on that, like, I think 20 something percent of voters already cast their vote after the Florida State game, for, right, for the Heisman, right? Like, they pe- there were already people that were like, "All right, I'm sold. I'm mailing this." And like, I mean, you do that to a team with the magnitude of Florida State, like, if he, even I feel like even now, like. Florida State just has the tradition that Clemson doesn't yet have. Right. I mean, you could have a an incredible game against Clemson. But if you did that to Notre Dame, if you did that to Florida State, if you did that to Miami, like those teams just have that stigma right. that you're like this is legit. There's more eyes on you. Clear I mean, maybe maybe not now, maybe not now, but I'm No, I mean but two years ago, Florida State or Clemson was not quite where Clemson no, was no. right now. Right, right. Now they, right. by the end of that year, they got to that point. Right. But I mean, Taj, they were always a good football team. They're kind of like, and, and the Big Ten fans are going to hate me right now. They're kind of like what Michigan is now. Mm-hmm. Like Michigan's going to win eight games a year, 
but they're and they're always kind of in the conversation, but they never kind of get over the hump. And that's sort of what Flor or what Clemson was with Taj Boy. That's sort of what uh, was going on really before Deshaun Watson came bursting on the scene. Sure. Um, I mean, now obviously Clemson is is well, yeah, two is the litmus test. Classes. Yeah, I mean oh, they're yeah, beating it's... Alabama twice. I mean, right. yeah, Trevor Lawrence is going to be a stud. I mean, yeah, but at the time, the, just mm. at the time, mm. beating Florida State was the biggest statement you could make in the ACC. Right. Yeah. No doubt. No. No. No, no, no doubt. Question. I mean, Jimbo was the better coach. Was better than Dabo. Right. That was the that was the thought because Jimbo had already won a national championship. He had already had a Heisman winner with Jameis. He, you know. Took over for historic Bobby Bowden and would have just picked up where everybody left off. Right. He was the first ACC coach to kind of break the train of the SEC winning the national championship. Right. And so at that moment, yep, Florida State was the end all be all. Right. And you beat him sixty two to twenty. That's and it could <laughs> and it honestly it could have been more. Right. No, no, yeah, no I mean, doubt. I mean, it, it honestly could have been more. Foot off the gas in the fourth quarter. Right. And it's interesting because Bobby's teams during the 1.0 era were known for not letting up. Right. You beat Cincinnati. I'll never forget. You beat him 77 to seven. Like, mm-hmm. but that's what Bobby was known for. Right. And you're right. I remember watching the end of that game, thinking like they could hang 70 on Florida State. Like, easy. oh, Johnny doesn't cramp up. There's 70 right there. Right. Right. So okay. So you, you win that game. It's just like unreal. So Louisville jumps the third in the country. Like this is a team now that has national eyes. Yeah, now the targets on our back. Right, targets on your back. What was what was the message that you were like? What was so you come back into the locker room, you're celebrating, whatever. You go back to work on Tuesday because uh, Monday Monday's off. Monday right, off right. So you go back to work on Tuesdays. What's Bobby saying? It's there. Right, go national get championship. Go get it. Everybody, you got everybody's attention. You you came in, you kicked the door down because this was a this was a table that Michigan, Alabama, Clemson, Florida State, Ohio State, USC, Washington. That's who was invited to this party, and you guys just kicked down the door. So now you got to defend yourself because if you're going to kick down the door, that's rude. But if you're going to bring the big guns, right? You you belong there. And so it was. Go get it. It's out there. Go get it. Right. Take care of Marshall. And then make make the real statement. Now, not saying the Florida State. No, that was a statement that needed to be made. Mm-hmm. But it was go make that statement at Clemson, right? So and, go, go yeah, ahead. so we're struggling a little bit with Marshall. I right. mean, it was it was definitely that is your signature trap game, right? That's a trap game, and I remember that game just being ugly, but being like, you know, it's done now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you no, get a win, we'll figure it out. Lamar right. scores fifteen more touchdowns, like it. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It is. yeah. I mean, even the even the fans were like, oh, man. Can we just fast forward to next week? Right, right, right. And um, so, so tell us about. I mean, let's skip over the Marshall game because, you know, it was what it was. But I mean, so you're going into that game. You guys are number three. Clemson's the fifth ranked team in the country. You, you're basically the hottest thing in football right now, and in, in college football, and you have the hottest name in college football. What What were you kind of thinking going into that game? Um, and I mean, did, was the was it kind of the same mindset as Florida State? Like, did you guys think that you were truly gonna you're truly going to win that game as well going in? Well, and kind of the same story. So you go back to our first year in the ACC. Uh, we're one play away from beating Clemson in Clemson. Mm-hmm. And that was a really good football. We were a really good football team. I think we were had more talent than Clemson did on that team. Yeah. Um, then you go to the next year, and Travion Samuel returns a kick for a touchdown, and we're, we're in that football game. I mean, that yeah, team yeah. ended up winning the national championship, and we were in that football game, and we started off 0-3. We went 8-5. and 5. 
Uh, it was a very up and down, ugly year. I mean, it was a good year. We ended up being a good football team by the end, but we were in that game too. Yeah, it and came down to the last play. I mean, yeah, it was, yeah. A, it, was it was there for the taking. So and so, it was kind of the same thing of guys, like we belong here right now. Mm-hmm. Not and then it was the added confidence of we got the Heisman front runner. We just we just put Florida State and took them to the woodshed. Right. We've taken care of everybody else. This is just the next game on our schedule. But guess what? Every single eye in the country is going to be on you. And the, and we were welcoming it with our confidence. We were we were finally like finally someone's right. paying attention to us. Right. So so what was um what was the mindset as well with going into Death Valley? It's it, I think it was game day for them. Like they they kind of right. returned the yeah, favor. They got game day. Um and so you know the night games in Death Valley. Everybody hears about that. You know obviously I don't think you'd ever played an environment like that. And then you had the added thing. I, you know I don't know if you guys remember this, but the whole thing about Petrino saying that you know it was basically they already played. You guys already played at Syracuse, so <laughs> you played in that environment before. But what, what was the mindset? What was the mindset going in as far as the the atmosphere for that game? Oh my gosh! Even though it was a, such a heartbreaking loss, and it really meant so much that you know, kind of wrote the end of the story for the season. That was the most fun college football game I've ever played in my life. I mean, was that environment like nuts, dude? I mean, thirty minutes before the game, it was eighty percent full. But was it into? Louisville <laughs> <laughs> fans don't know anything about that, dude. Was it in, was it intimidating at all? Like being in front of that many fans, that loud, like. Like that had to have been there had to have been some like kind of like pitcher pants moment. Like, um, I mean, for me, no. I mean, I had played enough college football games at this point, and once we we played that Florida State game where it was it was packed. I mean, it was it was popping. Right. Oh, right. yeah. Um, I mean, maybe some guys felt I I I was comfortable with that. Not right. not comfortable, but like, I, but that the, didn't, it didn't bother the the. Oh my gosh, what if I mess up this play? The, I didn't have that at this point in my career. I didn't have that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely had it the year before when we played Clemson. Right. Um, but this year, I mean, I was just enjoying the moment. But I, I remember um, from from an outsider's perspective watching on TV. I remember watching that game just like. The, the feel of it, you know, when it's a night game at Death Valley, just the feel of the game, watching it on TV. I mean, you know, Herb Street on the call, like, the, just the whole thing. It was just like, I can't believe I'm watching this game. It's so much fun to watch. And this is and my it, team. it's my team. Like, right. that's the, my, maybe the first time a, ever. And it's a quote-unquote basketball school that's doing it. Right, right. right. Aside from the, 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 the Sugar Bowl where, I mean, that is where, like, oh, holy shit. Like, we're but we right kind of just, like, Kool-Aid man busted through the door in the Sugar Bowl. Right. Like, right, no one expected right, us right. to do that in the Sugar Bowl, whereas this game, like, we were the favorite. Mm-hmm. Right. We were the Vegas favorite. Like, it wasn't like, we weren't we weren't sneaking up on anybody. We weren't busting yeah. on the scene. I mean, we were the three seed. They were the five seed. They felt disrespected because we, sw- we flip-flop places with them. Um, it was, I mean, you literally couldn't hear yourself think. It was it was crazy loud. It was crazy fun. Those fans were very educated, great shit talkers. Uh, they were in their seat the entire game, and not even in their seat. They were on their feet the entire game. Right, right. Um, it was packed to the gills. It was just a the best football environment I've ever played in. Right. Was there any like jealousy from like players and when you guys would go on the road to big time environments and you play in front of fans like that and then come back home and like it's second quarter and fans are still trickling in half of them are drunk sitting right. down like 
Like you're like half of the fans are getting yelled at for standing up. Like, was there ever any jealousy from like the players of like, man, our fans suck. Like, why aren't they like this team? Yes and no. Um, I say I say yes because everybody wants everybody wants Clemson. Like, I don't care. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a Kentucky fan. You want the Clemson atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you go to Rice or you know just. I mean, there's WKU. Really a, yeah, there's Every, everybody wants. Whether it's LSU Death Valley, whether it's Clemson Death Valley, everybody wants the Death Valley atmosphere. Right. I mean, there's maybe five to ten of those out there. Oh my gosh! And Michigan. I mean, Michigan is a sport, but they're not like the like. They're not as on top of you. They're not like it. It's just not the same. Maybe Texas A&M you could throw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, Alabama. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, a handful, select few here and there. Um, I say no because you know what you signed up for when you go to Mm Uvell. You, if you go on an official visit, you go to a game. You know what you know what you're getting into. Right, right. You're gonna have fans that are ride or die. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may ride in a little bit swervy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, uh, I think Tyler did a great job with the happy hour before the game. I think that's a great thing. I enjoy the happy hour um, before the game, but I also enjoy being in my seat before the game, so I don't <laughs> find a cheap beer to do that. That's right. But. I think it goes back deeper than this is we are at the root of Louisville. Now, we're getting out of it. At the root of the University of Louisville, we're a commuter school. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's kind of like it just is a different feel when you're not on campus. And that goes for alumni as well that I think it go like I think that's just part of it. Mm-hmm. And when you had when you want to have a stadium that is as big as Papa John's is or sorry, Cardinal Stadium is. Right. Uh, and you want to have you want to make it nice, and you sell it to the people that can afford the boxes and the seats and stuff like that. It's a give and take. Well, not to get too deep into this either, because you know this isn't really the direction that we're trying to go. But right. Cardinal Stadium is, you know, when you travel the country, it's it's a huge stadium. Like it, like oh, it's an NFL stadium. Right, it's one hundred percent NFL stadium compared to like like Death Valley even or, or even or, Kentucky. Or, Kentucky's right. got more than seats more than us, but it is it, not nearly as an impressive stadium. No, it, well, and, and that's the thing. And I, I remember like when back when the PGA was here and they had a, an event at Cardinal Stadium. Roy McIlroy, you know, obviously they have huge soccer stadiums where, where he's from, and he he came to Cardinal Stadium. He's like. This is literally the biggest stadium I've ever yeah, been to in my entire life. Like, right. It's like, you know, not to get too off topic, but it's a different feel also because the stadium is so big. Like, it's not as personal of an or an intimate of a college-type atmosphere. You're just not going to get that. Yeah, and, and, and there's 20,000 students and, and a third of them commute. Um, it's just, it is it is just the culture yep. of, of Louisville, and there's nothing wrong with it. I love yep. Louisville. I love playing there. I love being a fan of them. I love being an alumni. I love every part of it. It's just that it is what it is like, and you could have cabooses. You could sell the good tailgating spots to the people that are going to go buck wild, but at the end of the day, that's just the that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so, so go ahead. Now you. Well, I was just going to say, so, so going back, jump, jump back in, into the Clemson game, so... Um, basically, um, finishing that game, it was just wild back and forth. You guys go down 18, then all of a sudden you're up seven. Um, then Clemson comes back to tie and eventually take the lead and, and win. So, what w- what was kind of the feeling um, a- after all of that? I mean, it was probably upwards of a four-hour game, um, back and forth, emotional. Um, what was kind of the feeling right after that last play where James Quick kind of goes out of bounds just short? Um, I mean, was that the worst feeling uh, of your college career? 
I know that's kind of a loaded question. Yeah. Not, uh, is that, well, is that the worst, worst, was the worst defeat, maybe? I mean, when you put, when you say is James Quick going out of bounds, yes. Was he right, the one with the right. ball in his hands? Was he right. the one whose fault it was? No, because we all could have made a play here or there. Right. Um, it, I just mean like in, in that moment. I'm sorry, not not to put anything on James Quick. He put it. I mean, he had a great game. That yeah. Uh, I mean, it just. I think the most disappointing game for me was the Houston game, and we'll get into yeah. that in a minute. Right. Um. But we go into the locker room, and and Bobby's like, "Look, it's this is game five. We have the entire ACC slate ahead of us. We have a good Houston team to play." And we have an SEC school to play at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Like, just win out. Right. Just win out. And, and you're, you're still yeah. in, in the conversation. Oh, I my mean, gosh, I, yeah. I mean, and we, the, yeah. Com- the conversation directly after the game was like, wow, this sucks. This is going to sting for a long time. But, like, the, your future is still ahead of you. You know, if Clemson wins out, you it's still easily right. global and Clemson can still get into the playoffs. Oh, my, like, right. oh my gosh. It was, a, it was a highly competitive game mm-hmm. in Death Valley. With a sophomore quarterback, right, right, and not to mention you already have that sixty-two to twenty win. Yeah, you already have oh, the same yeah, area. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Well, we already have a. I mean, again, say what you want about Syracuse being Syracuse. They beat us the last two years. That mm-hmm. is a road conference win. Right, like road conference wins are big. Right, I don't care who they're against. Right, like they're big. Yeah. Right, and so yeah. you had that feather in your cap. You have the big time performance when the eyes were on us against Florida State. Right, and we played. A really good game against Clemson. Right. It was a really competitive really game. game. It was really fun. Um, it was great to watch. It was captivating, and it was everybody was like, "These are the two best quarterbacks in college football right now." Right. And okay. so it was Deshaun Watson at home. What would have happened if it was at Cardinal Stadium? Right. And so it was just, and this is what Bobby told us. He was like, "Dude, just win out." Right. He didn't say, "Dude." <laughs> Dude. <laughs> That's the last but, word. Uh, I yeah. <laughs> Dudes. Yeah. Finish the drill, dude. <laughs> But, oh my goodness! All right. All but right. it was just just went out, just right. went out. We have we have a good schedule ahead of us. Just went out, um, and so that kind of tailored into the end of the season when we got to the Wake Forest game and we beat them in two, three, four, all lost, and we won, and and no one moved. That's when the wheels kind of fell off, and that's why the Houston loss was at, for me. Houston, I knew, I knew we weren't even going to a BCS, or I guess a New Year's Six at that point. Right. Because um, all we had to do, I mean, we were guaranteed a Sugar Bowl if we just either beat Houston or beat Kentucky, just one of them. Either right, right. Yeah, just beat one of them. We're still going to the Orange Bowl, and I didn't play in the Sugar Bowl, so I was jacked up. Right. Um, but it was just went out. Right. We have a good schedule. We still have a good schedule. We have good teams to play. Just win out. Right. Okay. So let, let's let's walk to that Houston game here. So you go that game nine and one. Couple of clunkers in there. A couple of blowouts. The Duke game was a lot of people were left kind of wondering like what's going on. It's because I had strep throat. Okay. Yeah. So so you so you're sick during the Duke game. That makes a lot of sense. You come out. You blow out <laughs> NC State. You, you struggle a little bit with Virginia. Was that the one hand catch game? Oh yeah. Oh, that was more than a struggle. Like that was like you get lucky to pull that. Out. Yeah, we pulled the horseshoe out of right. that. So you go on the road. Absolutely torch Boston College. You kind of come down the stretch to Houston, right? So at well, this point, and even with Wakey Leaks with Wake Forest, we struggled the, the whole first three quarters. Right. Even the third quarter, then just decimated like them right. in the fourth quarter. Dog walked him. Right. Thirty eight right. nothing. And then you also okay. Hold on. Hold on. Then we finally got the playbook. I want to stop. I want. <laughs> I want to finally. They finally pulled the playbook out that they had already gotten from the announcer. I want to stop <laughs> on and ask this question. And the Wakey Leaks happened. 
Did Jair Alexander practice that weird chicken dance in practice? Was that something that you all had seen before? Like, I'm so curious to know where, or was that just like a, I'm going to do this real quick? And Probably just, I mean, the dude did everything. I mean, he danced nonstop. If you didn't, if you don't follow him, well, I think he's different now that he's in the NFL and he's a professional. But when he was a riot to follow on Instagram right. in college, because it was him and Trey Smith would just do the stupidest dances on <laughs> IG Live. Right. Um. So I don't know if he practiced that at home. I don't know if he practiced that on the practice. How board. happy was he that that took off like nationally? It was like, oh my gosh, that, like was, look at this and see what I was. Yeah. He was pumped. He was that was quite possible. I remember watching that live. What and then you had guys, and then you had guys like mimicking him right. on our team. Like right. now, then Chucky wanted to do it, then right. Shaq wanted to do it. Oh, right. it was, it was just. But that was Jair. Like right. he, him and Lamar were just so fun to play with. Right. So okay. So the, the interesting thing about Houston, you go into that week kind of you know in the conversation for the playoff. I think at the highest point at that, Louisville had been seventh. I think five, seventh or sixth. Then in this week they jump up. You have you have three, two or three teams lose, right? Three. So I know so I know Washington, right, Washington, Washington right? So all three teams lose. The thought in Louisville is we're in, we're in top four. Like there's no doubt we're at least four, right? And if you get your foot in the door, you don't lose again. You're in. Rankings come out fifth. Louisville's fifth. Clemson's still in. Washington's still in. I think Michigan was the one team that dropped out. No. No, no, they all, saying, they all, all, none of them moved. I, I remember it was. I think it was Jalen Smith who gave the interview talking about like like we're disappointed, like we should have been in, and there that that's when things kind of flipped. There there was a switch that just kind of flipped of like more focus on the rankings and where Louisville was than really about the football. Go into Houston, the Houston game, and just lay an egg like thirty six ten. Just just not the same Louisville football team we had seen all year. What you know, I, I I don't want to spend too much time on this game in particular because you, we know what comes up next. But what what happened? So you know when the light switch. So if you have a light switch on one side of the room, you have a light switch on the other side of the room. And if the light switch on one side of the room is in the middle, the light switch on the other side doesn't work. But if it goes one way or the other, like you either turn the lights on or off. That was sort of where we were at going into Houston. I know that's a really weird analogy. I have a really weird ADHD brain. I like that. My boss does that to me every night. I work at a restaurant. I manage restaurants. So when I get a close, he thinks it's funny and he leaves the light switch in the middle. Anyways, continue. <laughs> but, Good analogy. But that's that's sort of where we were at. I mean, we were very teetering on. Do we shut it down? Because Bobby said just win. He said just win. He said just win. Take care right. of your business, and you're in. And two, three, and four had lost, and we had won a, another conference game. Mm-hmm. And we had done everything we could do. Now, so again, some of them were ugly, but you know, it's college football. There's going to be some ugly wins. Oh, than, but a win's a win. Better right. than the losses that Clemson, Washington, and Michigan took. Yeah, I mean. Probably the mindset, you know. Yeah. And so we were like, and really we were like, I mean, the Big Ten's like kind of overrated. The Pac-12's like got a couple good teams out there. Right. Now, I, now I know if that gets on, you know, everybody's going to be biased towards their conference, but we were like, dude, it's the ACC and the SEC, like, right. and Ohio State. Like, right, right. I don't want to hear about Michigan. It's it's Ohio State. Right. Um, and so, yeah, we were just sort of like, I think we just kind of lost trust. Right. Um, and lost trust in the, the, the message, the yeah, coach. Yeah, just the message because it wasn't, it wasn't play for your brothers and, and it was you take care of your business and – We'll we'll be in the playoffs, and we took care of our business, and we weren't, and we were just 
just, I don't, yeah, I, I, just everything. Like, I, I don't want to say it was distrust in Bobby. It was just distrust in, in everything. Like, in the right. process. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. And so we go into Houston, and Bob, I know Bobby had got on the radio saying, of course, we get our first night conference home game, and then we have to go on the road to Texas to mm-hmm. play a Thursday night game. Against a pretty good team. Oh, against I mean, a, re- a really good team on senior day. Right. Um, so we kind of disrespected Houston because we came out in the middle of their senior day ceremony. So they didn't like that. Hmm. Um, but then you go back to if we come out hot, I think if we – I don't want to put it on Malik because um, he's a friend of mine. He's a good dude. But I think if we can at least give Lamar the ball on that first drive – we can flip that light switch up, mm-hmm. and we can get rolling again because Lamar likes likes playing football. He likes playing ball, and mm-hmm. there's still the Orange Bowl. Like, say what you want, the Orange Bowl is still a good game. Right, and you're, and it, you're referring to Malik Williams fumbling on the kickoff. On the right. opening kickoff. Right. And then Greg Ward kind of, you know, did a little uh, a little Billy Bob Thornton in uh, Bad News Bears and, you know, kind of right. gave us the finger and said, oh, you're going to walk out while my parents are getting introduced for senior day? All right, watch this. And scored. And then, and then and we go three and out, right. and then he scores again. And then at that point, it was we shut down. Right. And I don't mean we shut down for the game. I mean we shut down for the season. Okay. All right. Here we go. So we have officially entered into what becomes the new Bobby Petrino bookmark, right? So this is this is who the Petrino teams become, right? So it's a little bit different the next year because they continue to win. You still had Lamar and Jair. Right. Right, so the talent is still there. That's not what I'm talking about. I, I'm just talking about the mentality of what you've seen on the field. Boston College comes to mind fairly quickly the next year, right? So a lot of things change. And, and back up, a lot of things change. Grantham leaves. There's a lot You're of just talk. Traded. Right, right. <laughs> right. Not by his choice. Like, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, it is his choice to leave, but like. He's not going to Mississippi State for Peter Sermon because Bobby's like, yeah, let's let's swap here. Right. right? That's not that's not happening because that's if so, that's the worst trade in history of trades. But Peter Sermon comes in like this is your this is the end of your career. Lamar wins the Heisman. Like Louisville has a bad end of the season. A lot of talk about Lamar shouldn't win because of the way the team finishes, but they still you know Lamar wins. You go into a bowl game, things don't go as you expect. You get kind of smacked again by an SEC school, but the wheels right here come off like this is where the the Bobby Petrino 2.0 era starts to kind of come unhinged and you go into the next season you still have Lamar and Jair Jair gets hurt the the game opener against Purdue Lamar does Lamar you get smacked against you know Louisville gets absolutely torched at home against Clemson and, and it looks like Louisville has taken a step back you pick up a couple of wins you get beat by NC State you get beat by Boston College and this is before Boston College is good like mm-hmm. this is when AJ Dillon finally kind of makes his entrance into college football as a good running back. You beat Florida State, but from what I understand and from what I you know I, I am gonna trust people who have said this is that Bobby Petrino at this point had lost his team heading into Florida State. Bobby Petrino had lost his team, but somehow in this week leading into Florida State gets them to kind of have that message of just trust me again. Like just trust me again. They go in, they beat Florida State. Was that the week that Jair came back though? I believe he played against Boston because, College, if I'm not mistaken. Because when Jair came back, they definitely changed. Like, we go to NC State at night and get thrashed. Right. Drilled. Right. Similar to Houston. Right. Very similar game. Right. To, to the previous so, year. yeah. So, for that year, as long as Jair was on the field, we had a shot. Right. Because we were playing for Jair. Because at that point, from my outside perspective, it was, 
Lamar and Jair deserve to be millionaires. Right, for like, sure. We love them. They're awesome. They're awesome people. They're just awesome people, first and foremost. Great players, fun to play with, great locker room guys. Like, they are first-round talents. Let's not screw this up for those two guys. Right, right. So, Louisville loses this season. And NC State is slowly starting to make their kind of their their ascent into being a relevant football team again. But Louisville loses to NC State, Boston College, and Wake Forest, right? Three teams that they have no business losing to at this point where Bobby is. Teams they all just destroyed. A historically bad loss against Wake Forest, too. Right, right, right. right. And Boston College, too. I mean, I know the game ended up being close at the end, but that game was like Boston College scores and Lamar scores. Like that was Boston College versus Lamar, not Mm -hmm. Louisville and Boston College. You go out, uh, Louisville wins against Virginia pretty handily. They, they pick up another big win against Syracuse. This is a Kentucky game where it, it's competitive at first, but just Lamar Jackson being Lamar Jackson, it ends up being a blowout. That's the game, I believe. We didn't punt. Didn't punt, right. And then you hear that joke yeah. for several years. The garbage can game. All right, Lamar is gone, right? Lamar and Jair exit for the NFL. Bobby goes, fast forward, right? So Bobby goes to the podium to talk about Alabama at the Louisville football luncheon. Everything you know about Bobby in the past of, you know, just trust me, like we're going to win a national championship, just do your job. Losing to Clemson, team still bought in. Things kind of start to fall apart when when the playoff rankings don't go Louisville's way. You head into this new season. You still have a lot of the group of guys who were there during that time, but Jawan Pass is now the guy. Lamar's gone. There's no Jair Alexander. John Grenard is the guy now who kind of steps into that role of being the leader of the defense. You have Alabama though, right? But but Bobby goes out and says we're gonna we're gonna beat Bama and we're gonna be better than we've been with with Juwan Pass as our quarterback. In your head as a former Louisville guy, like what are you thinking? Like, because to me, I'm I would be thinking if I was a dude that played for this guy, like what are you talking about? Is this like Bobby jargon? Is this Bobby like knowing? Holy shit! Like I'm about to lose my job because it, 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 we wrote an article, me and him, when, when Presley and I, when we took over the site. Like Bobby is on the hot seat. Like the record might not show it, but if you dig into the numbers, you dig into some of the losses last season. The you, eye test. You take away Lamar Jackson, Bobby's right. on the hot seat. Yeah, just the eye test. And then he comes out and says this. I think a lot of fans buy into it. Think, and it's hard not to because of what you had seen from Joan Pass at this mm-hmm. point, right? You had seen a guy come in at U.S. Army All American, right? A guy who went to Nick Saban and said, you don't develop quarterbacks. Like, this kid told the potential greatest college football coach of all time, like, you don't develop quarterbacks, so I'm not coming to Alabama. So, like, this kid is the real deal, so we think. Go to Alabama and get smacked. But but Bobby just preaches this confidence, like, that his team is legit. What are you thinking? You're not playing. You're in the NFL now. Yeah, so first – First thing I think of is with Saban and with Belichick, they are teams that are just a machine. But Saban and Belichick have this almost poetic way of taking their team that is always the Vegas favorite and making them actually believe they're underdogs. And they, like I talked about earlier, about you got to have an edge. Saban and Belichick are always, always, always are able to take these guys that are successful, that are constantly successful, that know they're good, he can take something as small as that in a luncheon with boosters and and, and a Mm -hmm. basically glorified pep rally and say, this guy doesn't respect you, this quarterback doesn't respect you, he didn't want to come here. 
they're trying to embarrass you on opening weekend. They're, they're going to try and ruin our entire season. Mm-hmm. They think they're hot stuff. They had a Heisman winner. They had two first-round picks. Like, don't ever, ever give a guy like Saban or Belichick bulletin board material. They have enough weapons on their side of the on their side of the field, anyways. Right. Just don't give them. Just don't give them a bullet. That was what I was thinking. And and I'm a big guy of of I like to talk a little smack when I'm on the field. Um. But the luncheon was what three weeks before kickoff. Mm-hmm. Like they're in the thick of preparing. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And you just give them something that now every day when they go into to work, they can see that Bobby Petrino did this. Right. But uh, do you think his players bought into that? Like, do you think that that Juwan and Dez and uh, you know uh, Jonathan Grenard and um, you know, the guys who are going to, Colin Wilson, are going to step out on the field and have to go to battle against Alabama. Do you really believe that they thought what Bobby was preaching was, like, was real? Like, we're going to beat Bama. I think so. Because, because at the time you didn't know that Bobby was going to struggle transitioning his offense back to a pro-style offense. And you knew that Jawan was an All-American quarterback coming out of high school. He did well um, in spot jobs with uh, when Lamar was was out, um, and so every year you kind of go in like this is a fresh year. You had a lot of guys that were now getting their turns to play, and they, I mean, you talk about Dez. Dez is like, well, now it's my turn to really be the number one guy. Um, you talk about Puma. Puma. Now this is my turn to be the number one guy. Um, now we have a different defensive coordinator. Like, we got a new guy. We got a new system. I can... And so, the very first game of the season, it is... You do want to have hope. Because when you practice from January until the end of August and only hit each other, you th- like, and you are historically a pretty good team with some really good players, yeah, you're going to think you're good. And if your coach is, is pumping you up, yeah, you're, you're going to think you're good. And when you're starting quarterback, this is quarterback you. I don't care what anybody says. Louisville's quarterback you. Um, you're like, yeah, Jawan's just the next dude. Like, Puma's just the next dude in right. the historical lineup of U of L quarterbacks. Right. And it wasn't so much that he's better, but it's like, look, this is where Bobby made his bread and butter. Right. We got some downhill running backs. We got Day. We got, uh, like, big downhill running backs. We got some explosive. Off the top receivers, we got Mickey Crum. That's a traditional Bobby Petrino tight end. We're like, I mean, this is this is Bobby's bread and butter. And traditionally, when Bobby had his bread and butter, he crushed it. Right. I mean, he crushed it because people forget how good that West Virginia team was. People forget that uh, that Rutgers team was really good. People mm-hmm. forget that Pitt had some good teams. And uh, you just sort of. It was like, all right, like Lamar was fun, but this is this is who Bobby is, right? Right, and, and I think too, uh, this fell by the wayside because of all the narratives from this past season. Um, you know, Des Fitzpatrick came out in in the first, you know, in, in the basically t- opening team press conferences or right. team uh, media um, session, media right. sessions, right. and basically just said, yeah, all of our receivers can beat Alabama's DBs one on one. 
Like, I mean, it didn't. Right. I, that fell by the wayside because Yuval got crushed, and they got crushed by. But I don't 80% think he was. Of the team I, I don't think he was wrong. Like, no, I, I, mean, I mean, Alabama was replacing a secondary at that point. Mm-hmm. But yet again, I mean, it's with five and four star kids. But you've got just this unbelievable talent at wide well, receiver. We had five and four star receivers, right? Exactly. Right. We just and didn't right. have a quarterback that had experience or right. an old right. line that could protect them. But right. point point being, they believed in themselves. Like there was a belief, they, and, and you should, and you yeah. should. Because, like I said, you're a scholarship guy, they're a scholarship guy. And if you're not a scholarship guy, if you play long enough, you'll be a scholarship right. guy. All right. So, you know, we, we kind of know how that season goes. But I've, I've just got a couple of questions I want to ask you. First being staff. One of the big downfalls that's been talked about with Bobby was the the, the staff dynamics, right? You have, you talked about that first staff that Bobby put together. That was a... That was a huge reason why Louisville began to kind of take a, a big step forward in college football. You lose Garrick McGee, you lose Todd Grantham, you lose Terrell Buckley, you lose Keith Hayward, you lose you know guy after guy after Greg guy. Brown, yeah, right. You know Court Dennison. You lose these guys. You know I, I'm not asking you to bash, bash Bobby here, but in what you saw out on the field, what you saw day to day, was there? Like what? What? What was it with Bobby and his staff that eventually kind of eroded to where it ended up being Bobby and his family? So, Bobby is a very loyal, loyal person. Um, if you buy into Bobby and you've shown that repeatedly, he will take care of you. Um. I think the difference is is Bobby didn't adjust to the social media era of college football. And you look at Bobby 1.0, and there was no social media. There was nothing. Right. I mean, the press conferences, if you didn't listen to the radio or read the newspaper, those press conferences weren't online. You didn't have people live tweeting practice. Right. Um, and so these coaches' wives didn't, weren't at home saying, oh, you really let Bobby talk to you like that? Oh, this happened? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that that's exactly what happened, but it's just the nature of now that social media is involved in not only recruiting, but with the coaches and press conferences. And now everything you say can be looked up on on Twitter. And now people are actually listening to what you're saying and not just the super, super avid fan, but even the casual fan can see the the live tweet of the Monday press conference. It exposed him. And other coaches kind of got to see that, you know, Sometimes if I don't, sometimes if I disagree with him, it's hard for me to feel like he trusts me. Right. And that was a big thing. Of is there's a lot. It is basically whoever the offense, whatever way, whatever way the head coach is, whether he's offense or defense, is that's his side of the ball. And then so in this case, Grantham had the other side of the ball, and was strong. I hate comparing it, but it's because there's such a different staff and culture and stuff like that. Right. But was strong. He was a defensive-minded coach, so he basically said. Hey Watson, go take care of business, and as long as you're putting up your what you say you're going to do on Saturday, I won't say a word to you. Play ball with me in practice. Like there's some stuff that I need to take care of, and there's some stuff that I know you need to work on. So we'll we'll play ball with each other, and we'll yell when you know you have to you know get a couple reps cut because I want to add a couple reps. But you take care of business on Saturday. I won't bother you. I'll take care of business on Saturday, and if we both do our jobs, we'll win. And that's, I feel like that's the, the dichotomy of almost every single big time, whether it be college or NFL coaching staff. Now you get to Bobby, and he wanted to tell Grantham what he wanted to do every time. And at first, 
Grantham pushed back, he pushed back, he pushed back. Right. And then it got to the point of where Bobby wasn't letting him push back anymore. Right. And so Grantham just was like, well, screw it. Because the Oakland Raiders just offered me a job. Right. And so it went, then it started being, okay, well, Grantham, you need to hire this guy. And so it just, and, and people who are more inside than I may tell me that that's not exactly how it went down. But from my perspective, that is how it went. And if you were 100% loyal, Bobby, he took care of you. I mean, you look at Coach K, that got swept real under the rug after the O-line struggled. They moved in the tight end. Um, the tight ends kind of struggled. We didn't get very many recruits. And then he gets his DUI, and people just, you don't hear about him because Bobby took care of him. And right. that's a great friend. That's a that's an incredible friend. Right. But friendships don't always make for the best coaching staff. Right. Right. Um, I, I don't. I don't even know if this is. The, well, this could be a show in itself, right? But you you look at Bobby. You look at a guy who, in his first tenure here, really kind of elevated Louisville to just you know new heights. I mean, I know that's kind of cliche to say over and over again. He leaves, goes to the Falcons. You know really starts to begin to tarnish his reputation, leaves pretty quickly after things kind of go bad, goes to Arkansas, really gets going, comes back to Louisville, you know, has the whole thing with his motorcycle, real, you know, done, goes to Western, comes back to Louisville, sets the program up. There's no motorcycle. I, I don't know. <laughs> what? Hold on, hold on. Yeah, what? I, like, oh, I, we all know that, that her boyfriend, who was the strength and conditioning coach, beat him up. Is is that what we're implying here? Am I am I making okay? All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. I I don't even remember that if I'm being honest. Like I've the picture of seeing like Bobby with the neck brace just breaks my heart. Like I it's, hate seeing it. It's brutal because you Google Bobby Vitrino and that's, and that's like the, the first, first four pictures. But anyways, in his second tenure, you you look at a guy who was extremely successful. They win a lot. The program wins a lot of football games. You go into this past season. You go two and ten. You look the way that you look. And all of these go, things. Oh yeah, two and ten. Yeah, sorry. two and ten. All of these things start to come out about Bobby being, you know, a really bad person and, and doing a lot of things. There's a lot of conspiracy theories about, you know, Bobby tanking so he could get his buyout and get out of town. He's done with it. In your opinion, what happened? Where did it fall apart? Where did where can you pin it and you say this is it? Like this is where his dude stopped trusting him. This is where he wasn't able to get the staff that was needed to keep up a college football program at a high level. Like I, this is where it makes sense that that it fell apart. So I'm not gonna touch so much on the staff just because I I have speculations from a player's perspective, but players don't know everything that's going on upstairs. They th sometimes they think they do. Sometimes they know a little bit more. Sometimes they know a lot less than they do. But from the player's perspective, here is what I know to be true in any sport at any level um, with almost every team. You have to get guys that are going to fit your system. That's why in the NFL draft, the first round is getting the most talented player out there. The second, third, fourth, and fifth round is getting a guy that's going to fit your culture, fit your team, fit your mold best. They're going to be role players. They're going to do something else. And so Bobby felt the pressure of getting a highly recruited um, uh, or highly ranked recruiting class. So you go out and you get the very best players available. The very best players you can get to come to UofL, he gets those guys. 
and a lot of them turned out to be pretty good players. You got Jair that way. You got Lamar that way. You got Des Fitzpatrick that way. The difference is, in my in my humble opinion, is you tell these guys, hey, you're going to play right away. You're going to be a contributor. Some true, some not true. Um, and he tells these guys, hey, you're really good. You're really good. You're really good. And I don't care who you are, what school you go to. As soon as you sign the dotted line, they're already recruiting some kid to take your reps. Mm-hmm. And so there wasn't a trust built. I truly, you can bring on almost any player because it wasn't an open door policy. There wasn't a trust built that, hey, I know you're recruiting my replacement, but he's my replacement when I'm gone, not my replacement when I get hurt. The other thing is, is when you get guys that are just great athletes and not necessarily a great fit for the team, the locker room doesn't always mesh together. Like, if you went out and got. You play pickup basketball? No, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> some will call it that, some will not. If you went out and got the very, if you went to Southeast and saw a guy shooting and could light it up, was but just shooting by himself and just lit it up, and you're like, hey man, come play basketball with us. And you and your friends, you had a good fivesome. You all all played well together. You all knew your role. You all were like, hey man, I'm I'm the big guy. I'm gonna stay down low, get boards, kick it back out, whatever. I'll get my garbage points. Everybody knew their role, and then you bring in this other guy, and he's a gun. He just got a straight clip, like just pulling the entire time. He messes up your chemistry, does he not? Yeah, I uh, know for sure. Yeah, it, it just kind of throws it off. And when you get enough of those guys, because you're getting uber talented players, but they don't always fit the mold of what your locker room needs. Right. It kind of that that brotherhood that hey we're all in this together kind of disappears and then it turns into what do I got to do to get to the NFL and that, and that's it because I mean you have guys signing scholarships right now that are saying I'm gonna take my services to such and such for the next three years and then I'll you'll see me in the first round and so that's kind of the mindset and so it's a and it's a fine line of you got to have a great relationship with your players to be able to knock them down and then build them back up. Because sometimes if you can't if you can't knock them down, if you don't have a good enough relationship to knock them down, then either you knock them down and they pout and they're done, they transfer, or they don't listen to you and they go off and do their own thing. Interesting. You know, I, I think that there is going to be you know a lot of talk about Bobby for the foreseeable future just because of where we were you know as a program three four years ago and where we are now just real quick give me your your thoughts on scott satterfield i know that you've spent some time with him um you've gotten to know him a little bit and you've been kind of around the program like just what, what like what's the energy what's the vibe like how are the dudes kind of vibing with him like do you see things kind of back on the up and up are you you know a little doubtful like where where's your head at as a former player so I don't know. I mean, I can't give you the X's and O's because as a snapper, I don't really know the X's and O's when it comes to college football. So I, I can't give you, oh, they run this defense, and, you know, this is – I really haven't watched any App State games, so I don't really know what Satterfield does on the offensive side of the ball either. Um, what I do know is they bring a lot of energy, and they make it fun to go to work every day. They make it really fun to go to work every day. And what I think they did a really good job of is saying every position's open. Some positions may be a little bit more open than other positions, but guys, we went two and you guys went two and ten last year. Every position's open, but you guys are all 
Power Five ACC quality players. So we're we're gonna get this done one way or another. Right. But every every position's open, and they just make it fun to go to work. They do. I mean, you see a lot on social media. The coaches will have guys over for like cookouts. They'll go to the to dinner together. They'll go bowling together. They'll go to main event together. It's a lot of team stuff, and that's what I was saying with Strong. Is it's just it's just a lot of guys like doing life together. Right. And when the chips get down, you're not like man. Like as long as I put up my stats. You know, I'm good to go. It becomes no like I. These coaches got my back. Like these guys got my back. These players got my back. Like we all went through the same crap together. We all went through camp together. We all went through a really tough off season together. Like I can't let down my my brother. And so that is what I can't tell you what they're going to do on the field. I don't know what they're going to do on the field. I know that. Uh, there's been a lot of guys in and out. There's been a lot of holes as far as recruiting goes um, with just lack of positions. I think we have one tight end. And so we uh, – I, I don't know what to expect on the field, but I think there – I don't think there will be any 50-point blowouts this year. I think every game will be competitive. I, I, think, I think we got the pieces to go to a bowl game. I think we do. Um, but it's going to be an eye opener for everybody when we open up against Notre Dame. That stadium is going to be rocking because Notre Dame travels. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And and I've I've been saying this too with Notre Dame that they'd love nothing more than to repay U of L fans for not. It's not that they gave them bad treatment, but when you take thirty five thousand of your fans to somebody else's stadium, especially of of the quality of of a Notre Dame. Oh yes. Um, they're going to want nothing more than to. Put it at least you know fifteen twenty thousand fans in green in, in that stadium oh, this yeah. year. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it sounds like you know from what you've seen on your end, you know, with the Scott Satterfield hire, with a new culture maybe being established, that could be something more um, closer to the to the Charlie Strong brand and more in, in that in that uh, mold prior to the Petrina two um, But yeah, this has been an extremely interesting, fascinating conversation. Uh, it's been awesome to kind of get to pick your brain a little bit. I hope that we can do this again soon. If not here, maybe we can hit the golf course. Sounds like might have to might have to show you uh, show you the way way around the golf course a couple times. Um, but yeah, it's been been a great time. Um, I think that's all we have right now for uh, Big Red Lee. But thank you so much, guys, for, and we're uh, we're gonna sign off. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having, thanks for coming on, man.